Love a rugby league same-game multi? Then you've got to check out Picklebet same-game multi. Watch your odds and payouts skyrocket when you combine your favorite team's markets like head-to-head, first try scorer, and winning margin. Picklebet, the next-gen betting app and official sponsor of the NRL All-Stars podcast. What are you really gambling with? For free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley here for the weekly Talking Footy episode, which is a special event this week, special edition of the All-Stars Podcast with grand final week upon us. We are finally here. We finally get to have a decider to see who wins the NRL Premiership for 2023. Because it is such a special week, we've got a special episode. For the first time ever, I think, on the NRL All-Stars Podcast, we obviously have a lot of doubles, we have a lot of triples, we haven't had a quad panel before on the podcast, but we do tonight. We actually have all of the all-stars right from the beginning. Wilfred Z, former champion of Supercoach and co-host of the Champions podcast. Welcome aboard, guest number one. Thanks, Barnsley. Good to be here. Perso, Supercoach regular, talking footy regular for years. West Tigers fan, he's probably jumped on the wires, jumped on Newcastle. Now, I don't know where you're going to jump, mate, but welcome back. Yeah, I don't know, Barge. I'm about hoping that I can go down um, ancestry.com and find some Polynesian blood in me or something and go for the uh, Pacifica team when they come in. But yeah, thanks for reminding me I'll go for the Tigers party. But uh, looking forward to the podcast. No worries at all, mate. And last but not least, Luke Garrity, uh, short short stints this year, only been on uh, the preseason and one other podcast because he's been quite busy. But Luke, I appreciate getting you on board, and you'll be able to just pretend that there is no NRL this week, and it's just all about NRLW with your nights, mate. That's it, mate. I'll tell you, it's a bit intimidating. I feel like I'm in a Blake Green role at Melbourne. Like, they've got the big three on here, and I'm just sort of, like, filling a role in at 5'8", in around uh, the <laughs> super spine, but I'll do my best. That's all right, mate. We'll give you the suicide runs when we need some meters and stuff. <laughs> well, look. For the podcast, we are going to obviously have a big grand final focus. Uh, the first thing is we need to talk about the NRL finals, how we got to this grand final from last week's results. It was, oh, I guess, a, a bit, bit bittersweet for some of the results last week. So obviously, you know, the Warriors especially, uh, they had a dream run. They had a fantastic season. And it's one of those things where I don't think they'd be disappointed with you know, where they where they finished on the season, I would say. But it was a disappointing way to finish too. So certainly if you said to Warriors fans in the preseason, if you came within a game of the grand final this year, would you be happy? It would have been a resounding yes. And it's a very successful season regardless. Bit disappointing that they went up to Suncorp though. I actually thought they could ambush the Broncos. I thought I gave them a chance. Forty two to twelve they lost. Uh it was a bit of a hammering. It wasn't particularly close, like really at halftime, the Warriors did have a few tries. They didn't kick any of them, and that made it really awkward for them because it looked like it gotten away from them, I think, a lot more than what it had. I actually thought that it was a lot closer than the scoreline suggested, but, uh, you know, the boot didn't really help them. I thought they should have got Sean Johnson back onto the tee. Uh, but then all the hopes and dreams I had of the Warriors getting through was 
bombarded by multiple tries to the Broncos from the 54th minute onwards, and they fully deserve to win it. Wilfred is the sole Brisbane Broncos fan on the panel. Uh, Wilfred, you must be pretty happy with that performance because, I mean, I I honestly gave the Warriors a chance and I thought it was a lot closer game than the odds suggested. Yeah, look, I was uh, fortunate enough to score a free ticket to this one and I have to say I enjoyed it a lot being there in person. Uh, I I did a lot of daggering, let's just say my arms got a bit tired from in the second half, just like Adam Reynolds did. So, yeah, I gave it a rest towards the back end, but... No, look, it was a really enjoyable game, honestly. Even with the Warriors, they got off to a fast start. I think we knew that was coming. And, yeah, the the Broncos of old would have melted, but uh, I think we can say the 2023 Broncos, they're, they're definitely far tougher uh, mentally, I think. Uh, whatever happened last year, it's... I don't know what Magic Kevy managed to work over the offseason, but they seem to have fixed all of that mental kind of uh, weakness that they had. So these guys are a far more resilient bunch. They can cop a couple of tries against them, you know, even against the the passage of play, like when DWZ took that intercept. Yeah, like I said, you know, I, I'm carrying scars from the last few years where I would have gone, look, this is this is going to be a 40-point 40, 40 uh, thrashing uh, to uh, against us. And then, yeah, this year it's it's definitely not the case. They just, you know, put their heads down, grind, got, got into the grind, and then, yeah, I, I think they definitely got on top of the Warriors I feel like the the first half, you know, even if they kicked the goals, it would have been, what, like four tries of three. I think that was reflective of the first half. And then, yeah, I think the Broncos just, they, they kicked on in the second half. They came out really hard and fast first 10 minutes there. Uh, I, I know, look, we'll probably, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preempt the, the forward pass call. Uh, I mean, you know, Reese Brady definitely got into the oh, here, we, here we go, here we go. Everyone's hit the end for this. Oh, uh, look, Everyone's it was 100% forward. Like when they, I, I watched that unfold in front of me, right? And I was like, hang on, that's way forward. And I was like, oh, they didn't call it. Oh, like, let, let's play on. And then they scored. I'm like, okay, this is going to, you know, be a massive talking point. And look, fair enough. But I don't think the Warriors were getting back into it. The Broncos were still on top. I hear a lot of people say the Warriors had momentum. I'm like, they were barely clinging yeah. on, right? And they were they were at best matching it. I'm going to talk about this forward pass a little bit here because <laughs> you know you do have the rose coloured glasses oh, on, on, followed by the rose coloured contact lenses, and then I think you got the rose coloured eyeballs that got implanted. But I'll, I'm just I'll throw it over to I'm going to throw it to Luke for a minute because I know that he's going to ran away at this like I would. <laughs> so I'm going to give him an opportunity. I will say, like I agree with you, Will. Like to be fair, the, I I didn't think. I thought, the, you know, it hasn't cost the Broncos. Yeah, it hasn't cost the Warriors, sorry, the win. The Warriors were still going to lose this one regardless of what that call was. What I will say, though, is that whilst it may not have cost them the win, Luke, to me, it cost them the opportunity to compete for the rest of the game for that win because, to me, it really put the nail in the coffin. And that's the problem, isn't it, Gary, with, with this type of calls? Like, you can go and say it didn't cost someone the game, but then it takes them out of competing and maybe having a chance at a comeback. But more so, like, we just got to get that stuff right. It was just so blatantly bad that I wouldn't care if someone won 100-0 against the Warriors. You'd still want that sort of call to be right in the finals. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing with it is everyone keeps talking now going, oh, it's evidence that they should be able to use the bunker to do it or they need a chip in the ball or whatever the new thing is they're going to use. Why do you need any of that to see that was forward? Like, it was, like, why did you even need a review? It was like five metres forward live and they were on the spot. And the next pass was forward, by the way. Uh, not that forward, but yeah. it was, <laughs> the next one was forward too. But um, no, th- that is the thing. I don't think it cost them the game and I'm pretty confident Brisbane were going to win, but it's not really the point and it sort of cheapens it when you 
you know, if Warriors fans are sitting there saying that cost them, you could point 10 things out they'd done wrong first. So as a fan of the Warriors, I think you've got to jump off that boat. But it's generally, if you follow rugby league, it, it's, it does still, you're still in the game. They, they weren't dead at that point. They had got into a bit of a grind and it did. It is what broke the bat. Once they scored that try, the game just completely waltzed away. And if they had a scored next, who knows what happens? It's just, you know, everyone's going to make mistakes, including the referees, but you can't, you can't miss that. It, it, it is five meters forward. It's one. It's probably the worst call on a forward pass I've ever seen in watching rugby league. And it's actually a game that matters. And like to your point as well, this is one thing that I like was, I, I was breathless trying to figure out how to put the words out there when I was hearing people talk about this to me when they were like, "Oh, we should do this in the bunker. We should do." You know what we should do? We should have officials that can perform at like an under sixes level that would have called that, you know, like you have to, you can say all this other stuff and it's fine for officials to get stuff wrong. But the problem that I had with it is it's just so blatantly bad. And I've said before, and I'll say it again on this podcast again, there is a line in the sand where it's like, that's an acceptable error. And then you go past that line to the point where there's all these other ones that you go, that is so blatantly bad. It's actually a performance issue because you cannot make that sort of call at the level you're at, it's incompetence. And, you know, it's not just a normal error that you can just go away from. And I, personally, I'm going to throw to you, you know, what was your take on that forward pass? Because to me, it just shouldn't be made. I don't think that we should be looking at solutions because the solution is the officials aren't performing well enough, but we've asked for it. The NRL, I don't actually blame the officials. I blame the NRL. The NRL has been fine, Perso, all year for touchies to do nothing, probably text on their phone or watch some videos or YouTube or whatever, because they do nothing. And referees have been making mistakes like that pretty consistently this year. There's been howlers and they've just let it go and go and go. So I almost have to blame the NRL and say, well, look, you got what you were asking for. Well, I agree with you. It's absolutely like, you know, I mean, I don't want to, I don't bark on too much about the, the ref bashing and things, especially when it comes to forward passes, when you're not sort of riding the ball, you're sort of happy to leave it with the officials. But that was absolutely putrid. It was that forward, it was just ridiculous. And look, what you say, like the touchies, like that, it's, you talk about bloody putting chips in balls. And I, don't, I, I would hate the bunker to be able to rule on forward passes. The chips in balls every second pass out of dummy half is going to be forward. But what happened to the touch judges making bloody calls? Like you might as well have a cardboard cut out of Barry Gommels on wheels just going up on a track on side to side. They're doing absolutely nothing. How the bloody hell do you miss that? Like, seriously. If you you can see it on TV and it looked five moves forward, like how does anyone there like I don't know, I can't that was that was an absolute howler. I don't ride the narrative. Get, get someone on that Broncos horse with a give some give someone a, a flag and put them on that Broncos horse to ride up yeah, and down to G up the crowd ridiculous. because I mean it's at least going to be entertaining for that flag bearer instead of just the, one of the, the dudes just dressed there up doing in nothing. a mascot shot <laughs> mascot outfit that can barely see it if it would have been able to call that. It's just ridiculous. But um, I, don't, I don't ride the narrative that it cost the Warriors a game. It was, you know, there was a bit of a grind going at the time and anything could happen. But I mean, they just weren't good enough on the night. But I'm a, it'd be frustrating as a Warriors fan. For that. It was frustrating not as a Warriors fan. I knew that they were getting done in that game anyway. And to see that, it was just, I was sitting there and go, you've got to be kidding. I had a couple of days. Every one of us just went, what are you talking about? <laughs> there, there was, oh, I did think. The calls favoured Brisbane, but I will finish that off on saying that they were at home. You get that at Suncorp or, or home ground like that. And it's also one of those things that I don't think the Warriors were up for it and the Broncos were, and they were going to win anyway. Uh, and I will say, I thought being an old Ford person, you probably would have appreciated some of the performances of the Broncos because I actually thought where the Warriors could get 
a little bit on top is that I think that the I, I always thought that the Broncos pack was fairly top heavy. Uh, certainly Carrigan and, and Payne Haas, and whereas the Warriors pack is very well spread out in talent, and they're all performing as a unit pretty well this season. And I sort of thought, oh, I wonder if they can you know get into them a little bit in the middle. Uh, I tell you what, Payne Haas, 19 runs, a line break, 33 tackles, three offloads, played 61 minutes. And then, you know, Carrigan was outstanding as well. 15 runs with four offloads, 27 tackles in 50 minutes. He probably had a bit of a breather too. You know, neither of them, they missed one tackle between them as well. Uh, you would have probably liked those uh, those forward battles in the middle, but the, the Broncos forwards just seem to get really on top of them in this one. Yeah, they were outstanding. And they were just relentless all game. I mean, even the lawn speed and defence, the Broncos, that's one thing they really picked up this year compared to last year. They, and they just hold it through the game. Shout out so to Jordan really Sorry to jump in there. I just had to throw yeah. that in there. He has absolutely stepped up and uh, whatever he did, oh, 100%. He put up his hand, said, Kevy, I'm going to lead the line speed this year. And he's done it. And it's been like, I mean, I went from calling for his head to he's one of my first yeah, names yeah. on the team sheet now. <laughs> he always had that potential. He's, he's improved he's, immensely. Oh, he's been outstanding yeah, this year and he capable well on the other side. The whole pack has seen a move together. And that, that's been the difference this year. Defensively, the Broncos have been so much better than they have been for a long time in defence and that's on the back of the board back that's for sure but even the guys that come off the bench they all do a role and they, they, they don't really lose anything when the guys on the bench come on and like Wilfred obviously we need to mention Reese. well she's numbers were outstanding for a guy that doesn't have finals experience in a Broncos side there was heavy favourites, but you could almost say that put a bit of pressure on them too because, like, if they lost that, the, I think that there would have been riots up in Brisbane, even though it's one game for the grand final. I think the expectation was, you know, they're one of the two best sides in the comp. They should be in the grand final. Reese Walsh rose to the occasion. His numbers, six line break assists, three try assists, a line break himself, and he didn't miss any tackles either, had a couple of errors, but, like, he was... He was carving up the outside backs, and it was unbelievable, really, how susceptible he made the Warriors outside backs look. And he was really just causing havoc everywhere with that attack for the Brisbane Broncos against the Warriors. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, the Warriors were probably, you know, there was some chat about them that they thought he was a bit smug and they wanted to wipe the smile off his face. And well, fair enough, obviously, he, he left the Warriors and, and came back to Brisbane. So I can certainly understand why the Warriors were keen to do that, but they just, they couldn't, they didn't have an answer for him basically. So uh, look, Walsh has been, I think better than anybody expected, honestly. I, I was quietly confident when he came across, I thought, you know, we really needed a, a ball playing fullback, someone who can actually offer, uh, you know, something in attack that wasn't just off the back of the halves. And and Walsh gives us the X factor. His speed is just, his acceleration is off the charts and, you know, obviously, Kellen Ponga, who just won the Dally M, like he's he's got a lot of the similar traits that that Ponga does. So I feel like that that really served the Broncos well this year. I, I think I sort of stat that. I think Walsh has more line break assist than Tommy Turbo did in his you know absolutely crazy twenty twenty one season, which uh, which I think given you know that was peak PVL ball, uh, I think that's quite an achievement, honestly. <laughs> It's interesting that Wilf, Wilf, because it's um, it's interesting you say that with Ponga as well, because I, I think it's um, going to be kind of the next shift in the game. Is either next year you're going to see a lot more guys playing like that, or else 
the defences are going to have to adapt because the second half of this season, once Ponga's got going as well, Walsh and Ponga are now going back to the out-the-back fullback play, which was actually going out of the game a bit. Uh, there was a couple of years ago, uh, Turbo and Teddy and everyone were going through the middle a lot more. You can throw drink water out the back as well. Is you had these fullbacks starting to back up back through the middle and get the ball on the ruck and make a lot of runs, guys that would make, all of a sudden, it was like, you know, the narrative was Latrell was lazy, for example, because he wasn't doing what Teddy and Turbo and some of these guys were doing. And then this year, Walsh and then Ponga have completely lit the comp up, um, getting the ball out the back again in this kind of Darius Boyd sort of positions, but kind of in the midfield and beating everyone for pace. They're, they're getting in positions on the defence where the three and four defender in cannot match them for speed. Um, you can throw Drinky in on that as well. And the next or the next big shift in the game is going to be over the next two years, either the teams with that kind of fullback are going to start completely dominating the weaker sides or the defences are going to have to do something different because the way they're doing it at the moment, no sides, when, when there's momentum for Ponga or Walsh and, and Drinkwater and those guys, no team is stopping them any week. They're just setting up four, five, six tries. It's interesting that you say that because I think, do you think, Luke, that maybe some of that was part of, we had a few rule changes and things come in, which was supposed to speed up the game, but then I think that we've seen that it's slowed it down at times as well. And I think, the you know, fitness levels maybe weren't quite there for the initial part of it. We were moving at a bit faster speeds than what we are now, and guys were getting tighter in the ruck, and maybe that suited it then. But now, fast forward a couple of years, and you don't see as many teams doing it. Like, I don't even see them doing it with Teddy, and I don't know whether that's just poor play from my roosters <laughs> or whether it's a conscious thing that they're all looking at um, different types of fullback play now to be um, more successful. Is it? Do you think it's from the rules that were there a couple of years ago to now? Yeah, well, it can take time to adapt, and it's a good point because it's something I found very confusing. It's like Caelan Ponga's first season, he, he should have won the Dally M and kind of would have if he didn't skip the last game or the last two games injured. And then, you know, he had a reasonable year the year after. And when they started the PVL ball, he was the only guy that went backwards. You had all these guys, um, you know, guys that were averaging 80, averaged 140 in Supercoach, for example, and you had, you know, everyone in the comp went up 10 to 15 points, and Ponga kind of went backwards. And... I could never work out why. And I think in a lot of ways, you're right. The, the game got so quick. Everyone was flying through the middle and you had a guy like Kalen sort of sitting on the edge, waiting for the shit, you know, sitting out waiting for his ball and it wasn't coming. And, and, you know, I mean, drink water is similar drink water. I know he wasn't in and out. He was playing five, eight, but last year as the game has changed back this way, uh, they, those sorts of guys have come right back into it and being sort of less involved in the, the work and the sheer amount of carries that your teddies are doing and just sort of waiting for the momentum to come and, and being the ice attacking player without all, all the other stuff. And it's, whether it's the rule changer, it's taking guys time to adapt. It, it's something that, teams are going to have to work out because at the moment it is, it is a pretty kind of what you're being at a lot of Newcastle games. There is games where as soon as we get the momentum, it is just so obvious they're going to score every time they run the play out the back to them. And Walsh feels like that. You watch it and you just go, they're not going to stop this because they've got him one-on-one four in and no one's going to be able to go with him for pace. And it comes down to if Walsh makes the right play, he's going to get on the outside of his guy. And if he, identifies correctly whether he needs to throw a cut out, throw short or run, then they're going to score. It's down to him to make a mistake. And and that's, you know, it's just, and Drinkwater was fantastic when his team was terrible. Same thing. If the Cowboys played like last year, Drinkwater would have won the Dally M, you know, because he nearly did anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he ended up like six or something yeah, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Look, I think that it's, it's one of those things too where I look at it and as an old footy head, I've, it kind of annoys me because we see, I see games like this and before we actually got to it, I sort of said to myself, I think everybody knows that you have to limit Reese Walsh to stymie, stymie the Broncos attack, right? 
And for me, I just went to the old school different defensive methods of, geez, I'd love for them to play an old school get up in their face. And like we used to have a play when I was playing footy where it was called spear and you just yell out spear, spear, spear on the spear. And that is just the, the go-to for the your defensive line to know that they're going to slide real quick and real hard to whatever left spear, left spear, right. And you're shooting out of the line just to hammer someone. Now, it didn't even matter if you missed them because the point was that you had to take away their time and opportunity. And especially at NRL level, if you're going up and you're getting in someone like Walsh's face, Walsh, he might have the speed and ability to beat you. They're so set in their runners and their inside and out plays and stuff and everything. The guys are already past the ball or out of position. And then all of a sudden, that's when you get guys that run back in the middle and the play sort of dies. I would love to see a team just, or be, you know, up and in defense like they used to be and stuff. Just do something different. Don't stand there and try and say, look, we're going to puff our chest and we believe in our defensive line and, and the guy next to us and all. It doesn't, it's not working with these type of talents at the moment that have that speed and that ability like Walsh does. I would have loved to have seen a team like the Warriors employ something different. We didn't really see it this year. I'm wondering if we're going to see it more next year. I would have loved to, per se, just to have seen some old school stuff like the Warriors say, we're just going to slide hard to whatever side and slide and slide and let someone, one or two players from the middle, just run up and put the pressure on and force them to have to make a different play. Yeah, <laughs> would have been good, but um, it wasn't to be. That's sort of the way it's... I think Penrith still sort of nullify that sort of play much. I mean, it's those guys were outstanding at the end of the year, and that was those three as well, Walsh, Longer and Drinkwater, that were so good at isolating defenders. And it was momentum. And uh, not so much the Cowboys, but the Knights forward pack was given a good platform. Obviously, Broncos forward pack's given a good platform. They get momentum on. Seems like Penrith, well, the old school Melbourne sides would have been able to nullify that, but they're, they're shading themselves these days, so... It was just sort of once they got on a roll, that was it. But yeah, I, I really thought the Warriors pack might have matched a bit more and and taken a bit more time away from from um, Broncos spine, but it just wasn't to be on the weekend. But um, I think coaches would definitely be working on that. It, it was a, you boys are one hundred percent right on saying where it went with that COVID year, and it was sort of more direct up the middle and the back of six agains and all that sort of stuff. It was a different sort of game, and it's turned around back to what it used to be now, and the, the ball playing. Fullbacks are, uh, have been quite dominant this season, so it will be interesting to see how the um, teams attack their defensive structures next year a bit differently to nullify that. Yeah, I think that'll be my um, my barometer on how good Reese Walsh can be. Once there's a year of tape on him and a year of homework and 16 other teams knowing exactly how good he is and what he's doing in that Broncos attack, let's see what he does next year. And I'm not I'm not saying he won't be good. Like, he... He's only very young. He he could be very, very good, but it also might be a big learning curve for him, which I think, like, you know, Luke brought up Kalen Ponga. It's an interesting point because someone like Kalen had that happen to him early on as well. But Wilfred, the New Zealand Warriors, obviously they've lost, but I still think that they're winners this year. They've done very well. Webster got coach of the year at the Dally M's. Uh, has to be said, though, Will, Sean Johnson, I think that everybody knew that for the, Bron- the Broncos to be upset, they needed a Sean Johnson masterclass against them. And he was very quiet, missed six tackles, didn't really set up anything. And, you know, really the, the Warriors' attack kind of fell apart after the first 20 on the back of his on his play, which is unfair to put it on him. But it, Warriors' attack is really all on Sean Johnson, isn't it, Wilf? Yeah, I mean, it all starts from him. And ultimately, if he has a masterclass, as you say, it's going to go a long way to the Warriors winning. I do think, for me, what what I, I you know I was 
talking to some some of my mates about the game, and I was like, if we can nullify Fanua Blake, I thought that would go a long way to winning the game. And you know, you talked about Haas and Carrigan and how well they did. Like Fanua Blake had, I would say, a quiet game by his standards, and it made me think a lot about in what happened in Week One when the Panthers, you know, comprehensively beat the Warriors. Fanua Blake had another shocking game that 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 particular week, and I, I feel like if Fanua Blake gets on a roll, like so much gets, you know, SJ benefits so much from that. And I, I just think with the Broncos pack dominating, it just, it, it gave very little opportunity for SJ to, to build off, you know, what, you know, to put together any sort of quality attacking sets. I mean, we, they scored two tries, one, sorry, three tries, sorry. And one was uh, off an intercept. So you could argue the other two were just basically off, you know, the, the Broncos handed the ball over to them effectively. So they started off in good territory and yeah, they were able to construct a, a good set and score off the back of it. I think ultimately uh, SJ didn't get the the field position all the time to be able to, you know, put on points effectively for the Warriors. So I do think that was uh, an important part of it. Vanilla Black only had 12 runs. They had limited him to no offloads as well, which I thought was very evident. They knew they had to wrap him up. Yeah, and and you you mentioned offloads. I thought that was quite interesting because the Broncos have like they do have offloaders in the team. Like Carrigan has really worked on that part of his game. Payne Haas uh, far improved this year offloading wise as well. And you could see that they definitely tried to do a lot of offloading intentionally in this game. And like the Warriors obviously love to offload and and have that second phase play. I feel like they were trying to gear up to potentially you know practice almost for next week against the Panthers. Cause I think the Panthers generally do struggle a little bit off that second phase. I mean, we, the, the team that's tra- traveled the Panthers the most recently has been the Eels and they do a lot of offloading and it's off the back of that second phase play that seems to, yeah, obviously the Eels, I mean, they beat them twice this year, right? So <laughs> that's a pretty <laughs> rare thing for any team to be able to say about the Panthers in the, in the last couple of seasons. So I, yeah, I was I was curious why there were so many offloads, and I feel like that may may have been a, a driving force behind it. Maybe getting a bit of a dress rehearsal. They look like they, they said that they were going to find anyone that had got tackled with the ball five grand. Like <laughs> it was pretty. It was very evident. They had twenty three offloads against the Warriors, and to put that in perspective, the first finals game they had six, and you know that's. It was very very evident. You're right, Wilfred, that they were pushing those offloads, and I thought that it really trapped. Troubled the Warriors, and I think that it is something that is a good blueprint to try and trouble the Panthers. We do need to talk about the Panthers a little bit too. Barnsley, can I push back on you one for, just for one second on that SJ thing? Because I really quite disagree with that. So yeah, yeah. Go <laughs> for it. I, I, when I made a note on that game, my actual note uh, up watching it live was that every time the Warriors got down there, they actually looked like scoring, but they were completely lost in the run of the game in that they were getting run over. And that I thought that if you went into halftime at 18 as the halfback, you've kind of done your part with the ball. I thought every time they looked down there, Brisbane looked vulnerable, even in the second half, but they were never there. Um, and early they scored with, you know, off SJ without really trying. And my, my take on that game was they were genuinely outgunned 
in physicality. Like they, they, I was watching Brisbane's back three. Well, not so much Walsh, but the, you know, the wingers and the centers bringing it back were, were, were just walking through them and beating a tackle every time they ran. And it would go tackle, bus, tackle, bus, tackle, tackle, bus, tackle, bus, tackle. And bang, you're in the 40 kick down. And the Warriors would get whacked on what tackle one, whacked on tackle two. And I was sitting there, I said to a mate watching it, my take on this was the Warriors could score enough points to win this game. If you just started on the 20 meter line, tapped and got an attacking set, and then the other team got to go, the Warriors could have won it. Like they, they attacked and troubled Brisbane every time they were there, but they were completely lost in the run of the game. And I just don't think the halfback could do anything about the fact that their guys couldn't tackle anyone from Brisbane. There was just a tackle bust on every run. And what do you do? You know, like you're just completely playing behind a, a beaten side. And I actually thought as far as you can be good in that kind of game, I thought he troubled Brisbane when he had the ball. I think that um, some of that's right for me. The part that I don't agree with necessarily is I still didn't think that he, you know, you say that they were outgunned and everything, but I mean, the Warriors are a side that is outgunned, all, you know, all the top teams and stuff and attacked very well this year. So, you know, I don't think SJ played as well as what he has in a lot of those games. Um, but you do have to credit the Broncos, which is... They haven't played Brisbane or Penrith. They haven't beaten Penrith or Brisbane, though. No. Like, they were playing the only two teams better than them, like, in terms of, you know what I mean? Like, they played, they got whacked by Penrith, they got whacked by mm. Brisbane. Uh, I, I just think they're better than them, honestly. Or they were that day, I should say. That I just thought everyone, there was a lot of poor performances, not individuals so much as the pack was bad, the defence was bad. And I, I don't think, even when it was close, I was like, Brisbane are just too good in this game. They are beating them. They're just the amount of tackle bus and, and the offloads you guys talked about was the opportunities Reynolds and that side were getting compared to what SJ got were just chalk and cheese. There, there was just no doubt in my mind they were going to run over them. They were just way better. As a team, I just I reckon you could put Andrew Johns a halfback for the Warriors. It wasn't going to change that outcome by much. Ooh, or, that's you know, a big uh, call. Does anyone think Andrew? <laughs> some people think there's better players than Andrew Johns. I can't think of any. That, that's massive like, coming you, from you know, Luke. That's high praise. People first and I put whoever you like in there. I, they were outgunned. They they were not. Joey wins in that game, in my opinion. But you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't want to be the one that's saying that when Luke Garrity's here. Jesus well, Christ! Well. <laughs> All right, look, Penrith thirty-eight, <laughs> Storm four. Now I. Don't want to toot my own horn here. I don't want to sound like a storm basher, but I backed Penrith 13 plus. I thought that they could absolutely drill Melbourne. Perse, I thought the same thing on the Talking Footy podcast last week. And Melbourne just got ripped apart. There's just no other way to put it. You know, they just weren't in the contest. Um, there was a simple missed tackle that gave them their only try in the 10th minute to Justin Olam. But uh, other than that, it was just ridiculous how much they're getting ripped apart. And I'm going to be. I'm going to sound like the Munster basher, and that's what people are going to talk, call me in social media, and that's fine. I'm happy with it. But it's just, it's. I, I don't mean to say every week, but if Munster starts playing better, then I'll stop saying it. Not many people are saying it, and I actually saw um, some pages that I will not na- say the name of give him a rating of 9.5 in that game, um, and there was some other ones as well. And even last week, you know, he got a rating of a 9.5 from a, <laughs> from the same page plus others just because he had the match-winning kick to Warbrick. And it, he's just playing appallingly. Um, and I'm not going to put it all on Munster because, really, the question that I would have here, and I'll throw it over to Perso, you know, is this the end of a dynasty in a way? Because we keep waiting for the Storm to drop off. And the, the Storm have been, you know, pretty meagre in these finals, but really pretty meagre and, and searching for answers leading into them as well. And we can all say that Penrith are the best team in the comp, but Melbourne weren't even up to task. And when you look at the guys that can fire the Melbourne Storm, 
Munster, to me, is woefully out of form, and he was again in this game. Harry Grant is a little bit out of sorts. Um, granted, Hughes came, you know, with a bit of an injury that he was carrying and stuff, but those are the guys they rely on, right? They've they've made a real habit in the last, well, the last 20 years, really, of having all these role players come in that they can make something of, and they have with some some guys like Meany and Katoa and stuff per se, but it just looks like that their spine or, or their big gun players just aren't enough to compete with these top teams anymore. Oh, especially behind the forward pack, the way it's going, Barnsley. I think that's one of the underrated things people don't say. I mean, even I've, I've loved um, Welch, Christian Welch, for a long time, but he he had a couple too many injuries now. He sort of looks like he's lost a, a bit of pace and he's nowhere near as dominant in the middle and he's not playing big minutes. And I mean, they lost the everyone thought that uh, the Bromwich brothers and Kavusi in that game wasn't going to be that much of a loss, but I think it was a massive loss for Melbourne. That pack just is nowhere near what it used to be. I mean, Sides just cut them up the middle now as well. And their edge defence has been atrocious this year. That's the thing. It's been nowhere near what the Melbourne Storm have been. And that's why Olam got dropped. Could you imagine a few years ago, Perso, um, Bellamy swapping both of his centres in like really leading into a final series and stuff? Never happened. Uh, (laughs) Olam got replaced by young Tonomapuya. And I mean, uh, no disrespect to young Tonomapuya. He's been a bit of a journeyman. And he was playing decent footy. But I mean, Olam has been a fairly prominent centre at the centre of the year a couple of years ago and his defence was that bad he got dropped for 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 a guy like him. So that was always gonna and to be exposed on the edges and it was it was fairly embarrassing from the storm really to be honest. I mean we talked about it on the show last week. We both thought it, I think this was gonna be a, could be a dangerously embarrassing game for the storm. The Panthers were just handling quite easily and you know they did. Uh, <laughs> yeah it was just it, any climactic brilliant final, that's for sure. When you're making 50 missed tackles and you're completing at 65%, you're not going to be in the game against the Panthers, are you? Well, at least the Roosters didn't get pumped in this one. That was my um, positive takeaway <laughs> from it. We've got pumped the same. Wilfred, the forwards that Perso mentioned, uh, I have to say, you know, I, I can't just be one to just point out Munster and Grant. Uh, it's true. Like, I think that when big Asafa Solomona was going to go to Rugby Union a couple of years ago, people thought that he was a must-keep for the Storm and that he was going to be one of the linchpins for them, you know, the post-Bromwich Kafuzi type of era. And Kamakamitha really hasn't come through. Uh, we chatted before about how exceptionally disappointing Christian Walsh's form has been. They got thoroughly outplayed in the forwards. And when you go through, I think that you can see why the Storm might have been confident that they had enough talent in their pack, but those guys just haven't delivered. Josh King did at the start of the year, but he's also started to miss a few tackles himself in the middle and stuff. It's it's interesting what they're going to do with that pack because Penrith definitely steamrolled them in the middle as well. Yeah, it's absolutely the weakness, right? Because they have, they've had so many years of you know, just built around the superstar spine and they've plugged holes with you know, journeymen. I think that's a good good descriptive word for the likes of young Tonomapeo and, you know, Trent Liero. <laughs> He's just been not good, to, to put it lightly. I kind of feel like he's part of the reason Munster's really struggled this year, right? He's just not ha- – doesn't run the right lines. He's, uh, you know, Munster tries to overcompensate sometimes in defence. Not, not This is not a, a Munster defence at all, but it's, uh, you know – it's two negatives working together to to make a bigger negative, basically. Uh, I mean, I said before this game, the only way this is going to, that they would have any sniff of a victory is if Munster 
and Harry Grant and, and Jerome Hughes is 100% fit and they all have to have the games of their lives basically because no one else is going to be able to manufacture anything of, uh, you know, a competitive game against the Panthers and they obviously just didn't. Munster was really bad again. Harry Grant's been off, as you say, for the last couple of weeks and I feel like the game was over and after 20 minutes and, you know, once Toto went in for a second try, I was like, yeah, you know, will the Panthers get to 50 here? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, oh, I need I need to let Luke like pile into the storm here too because he's he's one that likes to when Newcastle are on top and you know Newcastle are going well. Um, <laughs> Once yeah, every twenty years, all the time. Yeah. I mean, like you know, we've, have we've your got, moment in the sun. <laughs> no, I got I got to let yeah. you jump on. I mean, we, it has to be said too, like on the Penrith side too, Luke. You know, I'll let you smash into the storm, but Brian Tyre was outstanding. Like he is just coming to this. I, I thought that he was under a bit of pressure this year a little bit because he sort of started off. Not in indifferent form, but just not. He hasn't been as good as when he really burst onto the scene or is consistent. And leading into these finals, like the last couple of months, he's been outstanding. And it's almost like he's gone under the radar a little bit. He had four line breaks, three tries, nine tackle breaks. And some of those, you know, finishes that he had, they're not easy winger finishes that he had against the store. Like he really put some footwork in or muscled over and stuff. But it's also, you know, the, he also still had 19 runs for almost 200 meters. Like he, he was outstanding for me in this one. Yeah, he's a gun. Um, he's got to that level where you see it a lot um, in the great teams. There's guys that once once a team gets to a certain level, they don't really wow you all season because they just do enough to get through. And then when the games are important, you see their best football. Um, they don't have these sort of Caelan Pongy years that you're seeing at the moment. You just get all the guys doing their job, chipping in, and then the finals come around and you go, oh, wow, where's that all year? Um, you know, I thought didn't think they were going this well. And and Toto was one like that. He, he's just a gun. And, and when, it, when, the, when the pressure's on, he's so good because he finishes and he does all that stuff. But if you're actually back-footed, he'll make more metres. If they actually get in a game where Brisbane, where Brisbane put him under pressure, he'll make 300 metres. And that's the thing is that the more pressure they get under, the better his stats will look because he does all that dirty stuff. Um but yeah, on Melbourne, I I don't think that I, this sounds really stupid because they came in the top four. I don't think they're very good, and that <laughs> I, I realise that sounds silly. But if you look at how their season's gone, hundred percent agree. Guys. I think yeah. we all agree with you, mate. Um, yeah, so I, 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 yeah, it's been it, bizarre it's, how they've managed yeah. to just keep going and finishing where they did. Yeah, it is, and it's a credit to. The, I, I'm sort of not bashing them because what they've done is they very rarely. I can think of two games. There was. Uh, the Bulldogs and the Titans that they, they, they sort of shit the bed in. But apart from that, they don't lose that often to teams they should beat. That You don't get a lot of days where you go, they should have won that game, but they got beaten by, you know, some team down the border. I was going to say the West Tigers, but I won't do that to Perso. But it's, um, <laughs> you, you, know, you, know, you know what I mean? You don't often get those games where you think, oh, God, that really shouldn't have happened. And, and that in this competition, this year was very close. And you kind of got in a position where that was enough to finish very high. And and I remember looking at it and thinking, you know, when they were playing the Roosters and then they were playing Penrith, I was like, oh, I think the Cowboys or Parramatta would have given these guys a better game. But over the course of the year, those guys played much better football than yep. Brisbane in patches, but with not, but over the course of the year had these shockingly low patches and that, didn't do it That's the difference in a nutshell, yeah. guys, isn't it? Between yeah. the Storm and the Eels. Yeah, exactly right. I, I don't think there's no doubt Parramatta's got a better team and the Cowboys. And I think they even played better football this year in patches. Got Their best football was a lot better than what Melbourne did. And that's probably, honestly, it's probably not Melbourne bashing because that's what you want as a coach. If you then put a few better forwards in, then that's how you get to win the comp. You're consistent every week and you've got the, the cattle. But I, I just don't think they were that good. I thought they would lose by 30 and 
you know, even when they scored early to sort of tie it up, I was like, there's no chance to get anywhere near this game. And I think they've got a lot of restructure to do. Um, they had, when they used to fill their team with superstars in the peak of that era, it was when the game was a lot slower in WrestleMania. They then went to PVL ball and, and Bellamy deserves a lot of credit that he had a lot of quick young guys coming through like Pappenhausen, Hughes and all this. And they adapted to the rules very quickly. But they're in an era at the moment where fundamentally, I'm not sure you can carry four superstars in the spine. You go and look at other teams and you've got Billy Walters playing for Brisbane. You've got Mitch Kenny playing for, for Penrith. And to an extent, I know Dylan Edwards is about to get paid but he wasn't when they started winning comps he was very much a club player and you know there was a debate whether he was even a fullback and that Crichton had take his spot when they started winning competitions um and and you go through the other sides in the top eight most of them have got someone doing a job in the spine somewhere and I just don't think you can carry a million dollars on every player in there because you take even one of them and I, if they had Puppenhausen, I think it'd make any difference at his best because I just don't think they get enough ball and enough opportunity. That's <laughs> the difference, yeah. But that's but that's a that's a real big part of it though, right, Luke? Because that's one of the things where you see it at Manly, where if you're going to go for that top heavy roster on your salary cap, then yeah. you better like pray to every god that you can find that you're not going to get any injuries because you cop an injury to a million dollar player mm. when you're paying four players five million, you're in strife. And that's what's happened with Pappenhausen. It's not unlucky. Like that can happen and you're deciding to run that risk with that type of team build. And to me, that's also why I think it's really interesting going out this year for Melbourne because next year, as good as what Craig Bellamy has been, and he's an all-time coach, he's right up the top. But as good as he has been, I'm I'm even more interested in this season next year because to me, we haven't had many opportunities for Craig Bellamy to show what he could do with something different. And a lot of people have said, I'd love to see Craig Bellamy go to another team and you'd really see how good a coach he really is and, and love to see what he... He's almost at that point staying at Melbourne because they're in a real tough spot. They don't have salary cap. They've got Pappenhausen, who's going to be coming back from another big injury, uh, and they just don't have the roster around them. They can't spend. And this is a position he hasn't really been in a lot, and he's going to have to change things a lot. And I'm really interested to see how a coach of that calibre actually goes in and changes yeah, the things point. that have worked yeah. for him for so long. You know, one of the biggest mistakes, I think, with the Storm don't really make too many mistakes with recruitment and retention, but... Um, when uh, they let Tino go. That's go literally what I was about to say, so I'm glad I let you jump mm, in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all you job <drive> in. <laughs> I never thought he was going to be as good as what he is now. I thought he was going to be good, but nowhere near this. Imagine uh, what they'd give to still have him in the roster now. Well, specifically, I think the thing they could have done was I always thought they went too hard at Hughes. I'm not bagging Hughes. He's a really, really good player. But with that build, with a running monster, with Pappenhausen, with with Grant, to me, I, I would have thought you had to get another forward or two, whether it's Tino or it's two sort of half Tinos, you know what I mean, on salary-wise. Um, yeah. That's the position where you could have had a young Pazette or someone coming through. And the best Melbourne sides, you know, early did have that. They always had the 5-8 was always someone who did a job around Cronk and Smith and until Munster came in, uh, it was around Slater, Cronk and, and Smith. And that's where I think that's what affords you a couple of better forwards. And then they're not going to win anything until they get some more forwards. There is a lot of plotters in, you know, like Josh King, good on him for playing better and all that. And I get that people think that's a good story, but he couldn't actually make the night side. And he's playing like 60 to 80 minutes at lock in their team every week. And you're just not going to beat Fisher Harris and, Liotta and a pain house. And these guys, if you're doing that, they're just not going to. Especially when the there's the main, the main guy. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, it's, 
yeah, it's a it's a far cry. I mean, I, I really think everyone underestimated the loss of the Bromwich brothers and Capusi. I mean, as you said, guys, especially from Munster, like on the edges, Kenny Bromwich and Capusi didn't. And I have to say with that too, I, I got to say with that too, though, like as much as we bang on about the fours, those outside backs are horrendous. Like Xavier Coates came from Brisbane and, and Wilfred will know this because all the, you know, I, I don't think that you were that upset about Wilfred, but I know that some of your fellow Broncos fans are really upset about Xavier Coates. And I was like, I wouldn't be paying him a lot of money. And he's he's not very good. And then you've got Warbricks come through, credit to them, they've actually pushed him through. He might be, but like we they, they just they don't have any centres at all. And they're, they're Going between four different options, Wilfred, that are all terrible. Like it's, uh, they're not going to get out of that right now, you know. And it's one of those things where I, the fours are bad, Wilf, but I think their outside backs need a bit of work as well. I think one thing that's really interesting because you know Storm have always been given credit for really, really good, rec- <clears throat> excuse me, recruitment or intention, right? And especially their ability to identify, you know, hidden talent uh, in in the reserve grade. It's like we've talked about the the fact that they. You know, what Ryan Pappenhausen was their fourth string fullback. Uh, Drinkwater was their first string fullback for a while. Nico Hines. Nico Hines, you know, flirting about. And, uh, you know, Harry Grant, they had stashed in behind Brandon Smith for quite some time. Like, they've obviously really got really good ability to identify talent in the spine. But I think one thing that's probably not been talked about, like, they just don't seem to find outside backs or forwards. And it, it feels like it's finally caught up to them when they couldn't sign the right guys or the, the guys that they tried to sign just didn't work out. Like, you know, chasing Tariq Sims, like it just clearly was not a good idea in the end. Uh, I mean, he wasn't even making the 17 most weeks. And then when he did play, he was fairly ineffective. So yeah, it, it felt like it finally caught up to them. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll acknowledge that, you know, losing Pappenhausen probably wasn't going to make them be competitive against the likes of, you know, the Panthers or the Broncos or any, uh, I guess those two teams are probably the the the, the yardstick at, at the moment, but it feels like, yeah, it's it's a it's still a massive handicap, right? You you you're going to a season with one guy who, you know, takes up a large portion of your salary cap, and he's genuinely got some X factor about him, and and to go through the whole season and still come third, I feel like that's more of an indictment on the rest of the competition more than you know pumping up the storm. It's a perfect segue because I think it is too. And we're going to go into a grand final preview here. And look, Brisbane and Penrith, our grand final for 2023. They're the two best sides. And I'm going to support what you said there, Wilfred, because I don't think there was anyone else, Like honestly. And you could take that as uh, it's really positive because the two best sides are in our grand final to talk about for this Sunday. And that is great and it is positive. But you can flip it the other way and say, geez, look at this competition. Like, outside of those top two teams, no one was really close, and no one did come close at the pointy end either. Um, we didn't even get some teams that had a run of form. Like, the Knights had a good run of form, Warriors had a good run of form, and they still couldn't make much of a ripple in these finals, hopes of Penrith and Brisbane. It was one of those comps where it was two teams. Um, so, I mean, that probably speaks to being an indictment on the rest of the comp, Wilfred, but that's sort of how I saw it, Wilf. Yeah, look, I think... You know, as you say, it's it's possibly a good thing that we've got the two best teams facing off the grand final. So uh, I'm sure we're all looking forward to that uh, clash. But yeah, it it almost felt like as soon as the top eight was locked in, you know, maybe you you felt like there was some hope for the Knights or the Warriors to you know to run the fairy tale, right? But I don't think anyone else really gave any other teams a, a sniff. So. 
yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's more other teams being bad or just these two teams being that level above this year. But yeah, it, it definitely felt like a lot of not so good teams uh, playing a lot of inconsequential games, and it just felt like they dragged the season out for a long. I don't know. It felt long well, to I me. Think it was it was fifteen other teams that were no good, really. Like honestly, like there was even like I don't think that there was anyone that was at the level they should have been um, with Penrith, aside from Penrith and Brisbane. Uh, and look, let's let's talk about this grand final. Perso, Penrith versus Brisbane, a lot on the line. Penrith obviously gunning to be the first team since the Parramatta Eels to go for this many grand finals in a row, uh, and it's. Uh, I think going to put them in that dynasty talk as one of the top teams we've ever seen if they manage to pull it off. Whereas Brisbane, obviously, a couple of years ago, having the spoons thrown on the field of Suncorp and everything else and the turmoil and Kevin Walters being under some conjecture, uh, are looking at saving face and starting a new dynasty that we saw from Brisbane in the early 90s and, and even after that where there was just such a competitive force. How do you see this one playing out? Because it's pretty fascinating. Oh, it's, it's really fascinating. I love the narrative on both sides. I mean, just to continue what you guys were just talking about then was, um, look, it was only a couple of weeks ago we were anticipating this being a really good semi-final series and it's been just totally anticlimactic, to be honest. It's just um, been a non-event. And then the best two sides all year have gotten into the grand final, so uh, that's a good thing. I, um, oh, man, this Penrith side. <laughs> it's the best side I've seen. Um, hopefully the Broncos can come out and well, I'd love to see Broncos upset this just to make it a, a really interesting game but I can just see the um, being tight first half and Panthers just grow on and grow on and get the job done at the end but they're such a good such a good side Luke how do you see this one playing out get your crystal ball out Penrith versus Brisbane how's this one going to go on grand final day Sunday yeah it's it's a tough one. Um, I I think you've got to tip Penrith, but I wouldn't be prepared to put any money on it. Um, I know that's a bit of a weak answer, but I, I suppose I've thought about it a lot. And, and I think Brisbane are good enough to win because they, they have the thing. What I've thought about Penrith all year is that they're still exceptionally good, uh, but there's just weaknesses there in, in not weaknesses there's just they've been chipped off of a few good players that if you get in a game and it's 10 all with 15 to go or 16 or whatever it might be there's just a kick out down and an appy down and that kind of thing it's just a couple less players that might bring out that moment that wins you the game kick out flying out of the line with a shot appy out of dummy half they're just less you know you, you always thought if it was close they had so many stars in the last couple of years that they would pull it out now if it's 10 all or 16 all with 10 minutes 15 minutes to go with brisbane and that's the question if they can get there brisbane have just as much if not more in their side to pull that moment out and they have stuff in their team that penrith won't be able to stop if things go to plan and 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 that by that what i mean is you know when melbourne were unbeatable you always went well there's certain guys in the competition that if you just get it right on the day, no defense can stop this. And, and Brisbane have that at the moment where as good as Penrith defend, if, if they get a good run out of Hass or something and they shift to Walsh, you can, you can, sometimes you can't do much about it. So I give Brisbane a really good chance and I give them, they're the only team I would give a chance in the comp to win it. But I, I still just probably can't go past Penrith. I, I thought Brisbane, 
I, this sounds really silly, but I, I thought in in a way they were a little bit ordinary last week because I thought they were really dominant physically and better than the other team. And I just thought they let in soft tries. I'm glad that you yeah. said that because I thought the first 20 minutes, like this was yeah. going, oh, this is going to be like 48 to 42 old Toyota Cup style under 20s. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's the defense wasn't good for Brisbane. No, either. it wasn't. I think they've been completely physically dominant over Melbourne and New Zealand, but they haven't actually executed the fact that they haven't actually defended well. You know, when other teams have got the opportunity, I thought they've scored easy points. And 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 Penrith will put them away if they do that. But they're, they're good enough to win the game. And, you know, hopefully they blew that. It's, in a way, it's not a bad sort of – you do it in a game like that. The coach gives you a bit of a bake at halftime. You win anyway. And it's a chance to reset and go, okay, we can't, can't kind of do that next week. But I, I suppose Penrith are going to put them under a lot of pressure. Brisbane make mistakes, so that's going to happen. And they're going to have to defend some of those plays that they didn't defend last week to win. And if they do, and if it's 10 all with 15 to go, I give them every, every chance to win the game. But they've, they've got to get there. That's the thing is it's not just going to happen. Penrith are going to kick it to the try line. They're going to put them under all this heat. And, you know, Cobo's probably going to make a mistake. Walsh will make a mistake. Those things will happen. And if they defend them, they're, they've got a pretty good chance of winning the game. But will they? Wilfred, you're the only one with any skin in this game this week. How are you feeling about it? How do you see Penrith versus Brisbane Grand Final 2023? Look, I think I'll be clear on this and I'm, you know, I'm trying my best not to be take to, to let my fan bias take over here, but I, I think Panthers are definitely deserved favorites. I do think the Broncos, like, I, I don't know. I'm not a betting man, but I'm looking at the odds. I'm thinking like, that's a little too high for the Broncos. I feel like they've got a better shot than whatever it is sitting out now. I think they're like $2.27 outsiders. That seems high to me, but again, I'm yeah, trying not to let my fandom, uh, you know, influence that. I've heard some criticism about how frantic the Broncos attack looked, but I don't know if it's just because they haven't watched the Broncos much this year, because that's just how we've been attacking all season. Uh, I think they have strike where I think uh, I've talked about this a few times, but the Broncos have the highest rate of scoring tries from their own half in the competition. And they have the least uh, number of tries scored from within the opposition 20 meter zone. I think, you know, when you think about it, that makes sense, right? Because they're scoring them from outside of 20 meters, basically. Whereas it's the opposite for the Panthers, right? They are constantly, they've got the most play to balls, I think, in the opposition 20 meters. And yeah, they convert at a really high rate. So, you know, the the Panthers are, are so well coached. They're so structured. Their defense is insanely good. But I just think with the Broncos, you know, just that half sniff and they make stuff happen, right? And when you've got a couple of guys who've got dodgy shoulders and, you know, like I, I feel like I'm sure the Storm tested out Luai's shoulder, right? They they ran nice at him a couple of times and whatever. But, you know, it, it just takes that one little, you know, slightly off tackle and then all of a sudden Payne Haas has got a really good play of the ball and then they're, they're shifting wide with Walsh. Uh, you know, Olam scored the only try running at Tango and he missed him one-on-one. So I feel like that's going to be a clear weakness that the Broncos will attack because he's definitely not 100%. So there are certainly some chinks in the Panthers' armour. And, you know, the Broncos and Panthers, they've been the two highest-scoring teams all season, and for different reasons, I think. But, yeah, I give the Broncos a chance. Uh, it will come ultimately come down to how resilient they are, you know, when they do make the errors. As you pointed out, Luke, I think that was absolutely spot on. If they can defend it... and I. 
not to pull out more random stats, but I feel like I, I read somewhere that the Broncos actually have the best defense uh, in their own 20 meter zone. Like they've defended the most tackles uh, as much as they've, you know, conceded some tries. And I, I take what you said last with the Warriors last week, when they did get in the, in, in the Broncos red zone, they were able to manufacture those two tries uh, fairly easily and they just couldn't get there again. But yeah, across the season, the Broncos actually have the highest rate of um, tackles inside their own 20. And, you know, technically, they've still got the second best defense in the, in the NRL this year. So, yeah. And they're behind Penrith defensively, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're not, they're, they're like two levels below Penrith. But yeah, I, I think, you know, they're the closest, <laughs> they're the closest the rest of the competition has defensively right now <laughs> compared to them. Well, we've gotten a few different takes there, which is really good. And I've got a different take again. Get all of your money on Penrith at a dollar sixty-five. Put it all on there. I'm putting it all on there. Dollar sixty-five for Penrith. I love it, and uh, I cannot see them losing whatsoever. So uh, I'm a little bit more adamant than maybe the three of you, but uh, you know, I'll sell it. I actually agree with uh, what Luke said too. We've chatted about this, and I don't think Penrith are as good this year as they have been the other years. I just don't think that there's anyone, even the Broncos, that are close enough to them to be able to trouble them enough unless they have a really, really off day. I think for the Panthers, if they stick to their game plan and they grind out and attack the weaknesses, uh, despite the fact that the Broncos have impressive numbers defensively and everything, I think one of the things that changes when you get to the finals games, and particularly when you're talking about a grand final, is that you can defend great when you play, say, George and Parramatta and you know, all these other sides during the regular season. But that all changes and comes down to a lot of experience and stuff when you get to the big games. And I don't see the pedigree and experience in the Brisbane Broncos yet, whereas Penrith is obviously full of it, you know, four straight grand finals. So I think that uh, players that maybe are going to play really well for Brisbane and get them there during the year are going to be under the blowtorch in this one. And I question whether guys like uh, Billy Walters, whether guys like Ricky, even though he's improved this year, and some of these other guys as well, you know, aren't going to make mistakes in this type of game. And I think they are going to feel it and they are going to feel the lack of experience for everything that Reese Walsh has done really well this year. And he's been absolutely outstanding. He's playing in his biggest game of his career. He's a very young man. I think that it'll be a great learning opportunity for him, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him have an off game. Um, and I just don't see any of that from Penrith whatsoever. They are primed for this. They're experienced for this. And I think it'll be a great leapfrog for Brisbane to go into next year and be a better team again. I just don't think that they're close enough to Penrith. And if you get into a grind with Penrith, I think you're going to lose because they're not only good at grinding and not only good at not making mistakes to give you opportunities, that's going to make Brisbane frustrated, but they're really good at converting opportunities as well. And we saw that last week versus Storm. We've seen that in other weeks recently. I think their attack's been a lot better. And Nathan Cleary two weeks ago had the best game I've ever seen him play potentially, you know, and they just put up points for fun. It's not just a grinding style where they're going to win an 18-17 grand final. They could put 40 points on someone grinding away if they're not up to it. And I just think they've got too much experience. All of you boys can run at me now. Do you think that I'm completely off my rock? <laughs> that confident? Yeah, yeah I, 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 I reckon I wouldn't say you're off your rocker, but I would just say there's just probably two things to push on there. Um, I think the the only thing I would say on Walsh, and look, anyone can have a bad, he could have a quiet game because when you play Penrith, if they shut your attack down, how many times have people, the best player in the other team had a, quiet game against Penrith. It could happen. Let me quantify but that I make quiet the point. game Every by game... saying, like, I think 
you know, mistakes yeah. as well, you know, and, you know, mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Well, every game that, every single game that someone has said is the biggest game of Reese Walsh's career so far, he's played well in, and that includes State of Origin and Finals. So I don't take it as automatic because it's a grand final that I, that not that you're saying it's automatic, but I'm, I'm, don't have a huge amount of hesitancy about saying he can play well if the cards fall the right way. Um, the only other thing I'll say is I, I think with Brisbane using it as a building block, I actually think this is their year as the premiership window. I think they are under a fair bit of pressure to win this. I think they will feel the loss of Flegler. I think they will feel the loss of Herbie and 100%. they're paying Reese Walsh and nothing. Like it is basically without actually being cheating. It is basically cheating what they're paying <laughs> Walsh because he was, oh, he could have got double that somewhere else. And, you know, like the NRLs refuse to register less dodgy things than this. And I, it's not actually, I'm not having got Brisbane, but like the NRL has refused to register contracts that aren't up to their commercial value before. They're basically cheating on what he's got under the cap. And again, I'm only being glib using that word. They're going to, they, they've, they've renegotiated with Payne Hass. He's going to be on an absolute motor. They're going to have to pay Carrigan. Uh, Carrigan is nearly the next best forward in the game. He's going that well. Um, they're going to have to pay a hell of a lot for him. Yeah, but he'll be whatever he's getting is going to be money moving forward, though, right, Wolf? If they if they've re-signed him, it'll be he won't be on chump change. No. They got they're going to be putting Walsh will probably have to go onto a million, um, realistically, and they're going to have to pay up for Ezra Mam or lose him. So you're already going to next year. You don't have Herbie. You're going to not have um, Flegler, who is a very key part of that side because it lets them just have another wheel to Carrigan and and um and, and Haas. They're gonna go back to budget signings outside of them. And if they then if Mam goes and, and everything, this is in my opinion going to be their best shot to win the comp. Because in two or three years time, if they start to look to rebuild off losing these guys, Reynolds is going to be retired. I think they've got to win today if they want to win it. Oh, sorry, they've got to win on Sunday if they want to win I'll give him ne- I'll give shot. him next year as well. Um and I certainly you know I think that next year as well, but I certainly do think they've got a shorter window mainly because of Reynolds' time frame too. Like Wilfred, how do you feel about it? Do you think this is good experience for them and they're going to be at the pointing end next year as well, or are you more on Luke's side that you you think this is a really important grand final for them to win? I don't mean to say they won't be good next year, by the way. I just think this is their best chance. Yeah, look, I, I think it's a it's a fair point. Like Herbie's been, you know, really good this year, right? Uh, we're definitely going to miss him. Uh, I, Just don't tell the media that he's been better than Stags because no one wants to talk about it. <laughs> I, I thought that was the common uh, <laughs> the, the common thought. I don't know. I, I feel like there's the I feel like the narrative on Stags has swung like too far to the other side. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just oh me. no, don't do this. Anyway. Don't do this to us, Wolf. No, 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 no. He should have played. He should have played Origin over Bradman best. I'm still holding out. <laughs> the amount of times I read that on the internet, far out. No, <laughs> uh, no, I, I wouldn't have gone that far. But I feel like Stags. You know, he's gone from being this, you know, budding superstar to like he's just written off as some random center now. Like I don't think it's that bad, basically. Rightly, but look, I think. Um, <laughs> To, to to Luke's point, like I don't disagree. I, I do th- I feel like this is potentially their best shot, uh, based on obviously, you know, Flegler and Herbie leaving next year. I have a lot of confidence in Mariner stepping in and filling Herbie's shoes. Flegler's potentially like this is the thing with Flegler like Flegler, right? Like last year he was not good. Like he it would have been not it wouldn't have been that big of a loss, basically, but he's really stepped up this game. And then he got paid, basically. So, look, I feel like there's potential to fill it to to, to replace him. You have got some good young forwards coming through there. So, Palacios, Palacios, yeah, I was really hoping to see Wilson and some of the other guys. 
Uh, he's gone. Though. Oh, has he gone? He's got, oh, he's got him. Look at that. The Tigers. Yeah. Which, yeah. yeah, to, yeah. To, to... They got Marty. Marty for fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I think Willison's the guy I was, I was really hoping to step up, but unfortunately he keeps getting hurt, which is, um, you know, it's impacting mm. his development. But he, he's a very large human. Like he's, you know, kind of Tino size, basically. So there's, there's, He's looked like a handful in limited minutes when he has been. Yeah, exactly. So I definitely think there's potential to to fill that gap that Flegler's going to leave. But yeah, I feel like to this 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 Sunday is you know, if it's it's either this year or next year. I feel like yeah, once Reynolds's gone, it's going to be a massive question mark about who we fill there. Um, you know, on the Reese Walsh thing, yeah, you're right. He's uh, at a really good value. Uh, I don't think. You know, you said he's gonna he would he would have been picked up for double the price. Like, yeah, you can say that now, but I don't think at the start of the season there would have been that many. He crimes. got offered double the price. He got offered double the price oh, at Redcliffe. The Dolphins, the Dolphins, you can the Dolphins check it, but he got him. offered it. Yeah. Oh, but that's Dolphins though. Yeah. Like they pay, they have to pay everyone. He got he got offered it. Will <laughs> they offered him that much? <laughs> but it, the only reason he's not there, as far as I can tell, is that they uh they, they had a falling out between the Redcliffe guy managing used to work for the Warriors or whatever. But you get offered double. That kind of goes to my point. He could have got. I don't mean you're really cheating. I'm just saying. No, no, that, I, I know that, what you that's mean. not. You're not going to repeat that money again ever for someone. That good, even on last year's form, you're not going to get. Wasn't there? Right. There was a deal with the release yep. from um, Walsh leaving the Warriors to he, that he wasn't allowed to go to the Dolphins. Yes. because of the yeah. offer. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's right. right. So, yeah. look, I, I get, I get what you mean. Like, yes, they offered it, but the Dolphins had to offer double to everybody, right? <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's just more that they have to pay him now. It's like it's great this year, but Reynolds retires, his money goes to Walsh plus some, and then you've got to find a halfback with none of the money because it's all gone to Walsh. I just think this is your – you're not, never going to get what Reynolds gives. The value quality of the roster for this season is 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 high. It's peaked. Yeah, it's elite, yeah. Oh, yep. the balance is spot yep. on. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, uh, again, you know, you've got Reynolds and then the other three probably add up to less than his paycheck combined, right? Because oh, yeah. <laughs> Billy Mam- Walters is on nothing yeah. and Mam's a rookie. Like, Someone you know, will pay big yeah. for him. Like, he'll get offered a heap of money, rightly or wrongly. If they win on the weekend, he'll get offered, end up getting offered something insane. Perso sit quietly in the, in the oh. corner there, not saying anything, hoping that the Tigers don't pick up the phone. <laughs> That's a- it's a two million dollar a season deal for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, no, no, we got open season. We're right. Well, that's right. Yeah, future more. I'm happy to go with all of your uh, narratives. Okay, that's completely fine for me. So we're going to have a Penrith victory and Brisbane back on the scrap heap next year. It sounds perfect to me. So we're going to roll with that. Uh, I will Wouldn't say um, to finish off on this and go into the NRLW Grand Final quickly. That this, I think, this might be. One of the few grand finals where we could have a Clive Churchill medal winner from a wing. I actually think Brian Tyo is a bit of a special if he keeps playing how he does. Have we got any Clive Churchill uh, calls for this one before we move on to the girls? Oh, I think that uh, I, I will just give you a brief rant about Churchill's and say how exceptionally hard and unreasonable it is to win one if you're not a star player anymore. Um, and I knew I shouldn't have opened yeah. this up. I'll, I'll just try and you cannot, you have to do such, you know, Jonathan Thurston is the poster boy because he didn't do anything in the grand final till he kicked the field goal. How he got that one. Um, yeah. Basically the Nathan Cleary or someone of that level wins, unless someone who's a, a semi superstar has an exceptional moment like Dylan Edwards. And basically if you're Moses Liotta and those kind of guys, you may as well give up. They don't win them anymore. That That's my rant for it. Um, Tor or to win it would have to get a hat trick because they just won't give it to a guy who's not, they're going to give it to the superstar. It's going to go to Walsh or Reynolds if they win. 
um, and it's going to go to Cleary or, or yeah. you know, someone in the spine for Penrith. That's just how it is. Yeah, I don't don't think they've ever don't think they've ever recovered covered from the backlash <laughs> of Brad McKay winning in 1993 and a losing side against the Broncos. That's about right. Well, I I think that uh, that it's obviously Cleary is very very heavily favoured to get it, but if you want some value mm. in the betting markets, um, Brian Tyo, like he could easily go for a, a double and run for 250 metres and run the ball 25 times or something. If he does something like that, then it becomes a bit hard to ignore. But we do need to talk about the girls because we're running out of time. NRLW Grand Final. We do need to take a quick break from the podcast just to talk about the fantastic partner of the NRL All-Stars podcast in Picklebet. Jump on to picklebet.com and have a look, especially if you like a punt. I reckon that you'll love Picklebet. They've got fantastic odds, a lot of the time better than the rest of the market. But it is Grand Final week for Grand Final week. They are still pushing ahead with... First try scorer paid out at second try scorer as well. But for the AFL, any of the first three goal scorers will get paid out as the first goal. That is massive. So certainly get on both if you like. I love Brian Toto. I got on him last week and got paid out. He got first and second try scorer last week. But there's also some other stuff coming up too. Like even after the season's finished, NBA's about to tip off if you like the American sports. NFL's already there. They got great odds on pickle bet for all that stuff. So jump on, have a look. Sign up today. And when you do sign up, make sure that you use the affiliate code ALLSTARS, all one word. When you sign up, there'll be a spot that says affiliate code. Throw in all stars, hit apply. That way they'll know that you're one of our listeners and they'll take fantastic care of you. But their promos have been absolutely off the hook this season and this week is no exception. So get on picklebet.com this week for the grand final week for AFL and NRL and anything else that you like. Always make sure, though, is this a bet that you really want to place? For free and confidential support, you can call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. So NRLW grand final time. Uh, I am absolutely gutted that my Roosters went out with a whimper because I thought that it was going to be a cracker of an NRLW Grand Final Roosters Knights. And the Titans did them 12-0. The Roosters couldn't even score with their potent attack. And watching the game, it was very, very disappointing because I thought they saved their, their worst game of the season for that one. But well under the Titans girls. They played well. They grinded it out. And they're in the Grand Final versus the star-studded Newcastle Knights girls who finished first. So... Certainly, uh, Luke, we've got to go to you first because you're going to be on the Newcastle Knights train, obviously. Uh, I personally uh, am excited for this one. I think it's great that it's on the Sunday and we get to see it as a bit of a curtain raiser to the the actual men's grand final later on. Um, But I'm also excited because I really like watching your Knights girls play. Tamika Upton was a very deserving uh, Dally M winner to go along with Kaylin Ponga. And I also thought that um, some of the other girls the last few weeks have really stepped up as well. I'm really liking the look of some of the forwards as well. Obviously, Southwell's phenomenal halfback too. And I just, mm. I can't see the Titans competing with your girls. Yeah, well, hopefully that's right. Um, firstly, I'd just like to say suck on it, Millie. Went to the Roosters, went for the money, the glamour club. Didn't make the grand final, <laughs> nice for doing it. I uh, said that a bit this week. So enjoy that over there with your latte. But um, not that I'm bitter. And that'll be Dom Young next year, hopefully. But yeah, it's um, basically that that little rant aside. They're they're an awesome team. They're they're really good. I've watched them most of this year. I've, I don't watch a lot of games that they're not in, but I've watched all of theirs and seen quite a few of them live. They they'll be well placed for this. Firstly, because they've uh, played in front, they've played in front of like eighteen thousand in Newcastle on the days that Newcastle sold those back to back home games out. So they've played in front of a couple of big crowds, and they also played 
in front of, they got the biggest standalone crowd like last week with 12,000. So they've had some big crowds already, obviously played in a grand final before. So all of that will go well for them. I, I will just say if there's a chink in them this year, they haven't dominated every single game I've watched. They've, scored quite easily because they have the best structured attack in the comp. A lot of other teams rely on, uh, because it's still in its infancy, they, they rely on beating players one-on-one a lot to score tries. And Newcastle has a very NRL kind of structure to their attack, like a very professional structure that sets up tries without relying on mistakes from their opposition, without, you, you know what I mean, without missing one-on-one tackles and things like that. So they'll score points, but they've given their opportunity, their, their opponent a look in every game. They've got out the 12-point leads and then ended up 12-all and had to score again. They've got behind by 12 and had to get on with it. So if you're watching it, I think the Titans will give, will get a chance at some point in that game. They'll get a look at it and it'll be whether they're good enough to take it. Um on top of that, the only thing I was going to add is I know a lot of people don't watch it all the time, so I thought I'd just chuck a couple of names that are worth having a really good look at. Uh, Tamika's obvious. She's the best player. in uh, Every game I've watched this year, I thought they wouldn't have won if she didn't play. That's how good she is. But a couple of the other ones to watch is that obviously Southwell's well-known, but we've got her sister back this year who missed last year with ACL, Hannah Southwell. She's played for Australia and everything before. She is so gerbo-like, it's not even funny. Um, she gets in at lock and runs their attack kind of gerbo Tohu Harris style, kind of slower but passing really neatly out of there and she folds people when she when she tackles. So she looks a lot like a sister, but have a good look out for her if you if you don't watch too much. Um, Yasmin Clydesdale. That's what I'm looking for Yasmin, in the pack. Yeah, she's a, she's a gun. Um, her husband used to play for Newcastle in the men, so the first husband and wife to have played for the Knights. Adam played hooker for a bit and also in Canberra. She runs a beautiful line and runs really well off the halves is, is a very good one and a um, bit of a smoky out wide Shanice Parker to score a try she uh, has had a great year not not as big a name as some of the other guys but does a, a great job um, and sort of Caitlin Johnson's an absolute animal anyone who doesn't watch women's go the women's footy much go and watch Caitlin Johnson run it's like old school 80s front rower and stuff <laughs> like just just like run it straight challenge and a bit of mungo on the deck to into everyone oh <laughs> how good yeah, ball skills too though, I guess. in there it's um I, I've really enjoyed her and a couple of them this year because it's a bit of a throwback to when it was a bit less professional in the NRL. And I don't mean that as a slight. I just mean when there's just a bit less structure. Yeah, there's a bit more of like the props are big, probably a bit slow, but big and run straight. They do their jobs. The backs are a bit smaller and the the you kind of got that more. It's got that kind of 80s and 90s feel about the footy. I really enjoyed it. So it's uh, anyone who doesn't watch it all the time, have a look and look out for some of those guys because I reckon they'll, they'll be in for big games and hopefully we win it again. Yeah, the Titans only ended up with one one player in the Dallium team of the year, and that was Shannon Mato, who was in the um, prop spot for the Dallium team of the year. Uh, they're their halves actually controlled the game pretty well against the Roosters last last week. I think that they're going to have to grind if they're going to beat the Knights. Uh, first, so you're up Newcastle way, even though you're a Tigers fan. I know you love watching the Knights girls play. We've got to talk about whether the Titans are any chance, and I, I don't mean to be down on them, but you know I think they've actually almost like the Warriors. You know, like they're obviously going to compete and be trying to win, and they're a chance, but. Like the Warriors, the Titans girls have just had a really good season. To finish third and then to go to the grand final, uh, I think is a really great success for them for this season, whether it's win or lose this weekend. But can you give them any chance or a way that they can get over this uh, Newcastle Knights girls machine that's going to probably end up with a premiership on Sunday, I reckon? No, not really. I mean, they've had a really good season and that's probably their grand final last week, uh, to be honest, I think. The biggest thing for the Knights this year, I mean, they've done it without Millie Boyle 
is basically the pain house of the women's game, which is that good. They just there's a lot they haven't missed up. They just haven't missed a beat. They've been solid little surgeon. So there last year, I mean, experience counts for a hell of a lot. Uh, I think they'll be good, and uh, there'll be another victory for the uh, the Nova Catherine girls, hopefully. But um, I'll definitely be watching that bandwagon. But yeah, I I don't know. I think the the Titans had their lawn to some last night when the uh, the coach thanked everyone except the next door neighbour's cat at the Dale um, <laughs> <Bale> Awards. <laughs> <laughs> that speech was speech was never going to end. I think it's still going. Well, good I, think on them. I think they're still doing it. Um... <laughs> but good on them. It's an awesome achievement to get there. But yeah, I, I think it's a, a nice. I'll be very surprised if North lose that game. Wilfred, you're you're up Brisbane way, pretty close to the Gold Coast. Yeah, are you seeing it? Are you seeing it? like, I'm I'm actually surprised that Brisbane hasn't claimed it. Like, you know, we have got the Lions, we have got the Broncos, and we have got the Titans in the grand final too. You know, I'm pretty surprised you haven't tried to grab onto it. <laughs> They they did claim the Brisbane Raw apparently are in the A League Grand Final. Yeah. I, I'd had no idea myself. I didn't even know they were still playing. That's how bad it is, unfortunately. Yeah, it's been pretty noisy up here with the Broncos and Lions already. But look, I just don't think the Titans they have enough points in them, right? The 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 Knights, you know, I think Garrity nailed it. Like they just they're actually really well coached. They're, they're structured, and I think that's going to be they're just going to find points too easily. So. The Titans, if they get in, get them into a grind, yeah, that's probably the only chance they might win. But I just don't think they're going to be able to keep up. And yeah, I think Perso uh, was spot on. Like they they played their grand final last week, unfortunately. Yeah, they did. Uh, but you know, it, it, anything can happen on grand final day, except for the Roosters winning. But that's another story. We do have a <laughs> last uh, four real quick segments that we always throw on there. Uh, positive pitch, something positive from the week. I got to throw out there, boys. The Prime Minister's eleven played this week, and they almost lost to Papua New Guinea. PNG, I think, is so positive for rugby league. I will never ever put in the NRL. I think it's great just sitting in Queensland Cup, but just seeing the scenes every time of all of the crowd there, the sellouts that they get whenever the, the Australian side goes over, and how much they get behind their side. They were so excited when their team was competing, and full credit to PNG. Those boys really competed and they played really hard as they always do, but. Rarely do you see them be able to push Australia on the scoreboard. And even though Australia went away over the last 10 or 15 minutes, it was a real game right until the end. So, you know, personally, I thought that that was just fantastic to see and so positive for rugby league. Yeah, it's fantastic for the game. They, they made a great account of himself in that game. You sort of watch it and, you know, they were right in it for a fair part of it. And um, obviously not Australia's strongest side, but it's still a bloody fair side, let's be real. And uh, the, the way the... Um, the PNG games developed in sort of the last ten years has come on leaps and bounds. So and they they do have a nation behind them, but uh, that was good to watch. Actually, they were in a bit of trouble there for a while. The uh, the Prime Minister's eleven. Yeah, they were. I actually thought that there were a chance of losing, and I was almost like I always want to see Australia win. But like Wilfred, I was kind of secretly like in my heart, like pushing for a PNG victory just to give them a win because I felt like they really deserved it. And they would have really just gone off. Yeah, honestly, like I'm sure you guys saw the the the, the image, the footage that's come out right when they the the players are coming out of the airport and they just they're all on their phones, kind of filming the reception that they get. It's just insane the amount of noise that's going on. It's literally a religion over there. So I'd love to see. Uh, I yeah, I, I I was with you on that. I would actually love to see them win uh, in this one. But honestly, like. You know, not to disparage the the guys we put up though. Like, I feel like when you've got Terrell Sloan as your fullback, 
you know, it, it's probably indicative of the rest of the squad, I guess we could put up. But, but they did have, like, guys like DCE and some pretty well-seasoned, you know, guys that would make the Australian team normally and stuff. Like, I, yeah, I get what enough. you guys mean, but they did have some stars there too. And and really, you got to look at the fact that 10 years ago, that team that we threw out there would have won by, you know, 30 to 40. Yeah, that's a really good you point. Know, that's a really good point. Yeah. So, um, look, listener's corner. I, I've saved this for you, Garrity. I'm going to go straight to you on it because this is going to be a big rant. Listener's corner question. Our players being dudded at the Dally M's. I'm going to throw my two cents in first because I reckon you'll jump right off the back of it. Yes, they are. It is about time that we started changing the rules of the Dally M because we need to think about what it is actually meaning. And I think for everybody, it is going to the best player in the game. So two things that I hate about, well, yeah. one thing in particular, I can't stand the whole suspension thing, you know, and people talk about it, you know, originating is the best and fairest. It's developed into the best player. And I, I hate to see... Um, you know, team of the year nominations as well. Like Reese Walsh wasn't on it because he was suspended. Like, and then you also all of a sudden create this controversy for yourself as a game. Whoa, how is James Tedesco on there and not Reese Walsh? Like, 100% Reese Walsh should have been there instead of him. Um, you know, you, you had a, a few of those nominations where guys just weren't on there. Uh, I don't think Drinkwater was on there for team of the year either, and he was outstanding. There's no need to just dud us of the real team of the year nominations or to dud players that deserve to be there. And likewise for the Dally M, like it, it doesn't re- it doesn't happen too often, but at the same time, like even away from the winner that wins the Dally M, Luke, like I think that it would be fair just to not dock players, you know, especially forwards. Forwards are going in there making ex- exponentially more tackles than a fullback does. So just by law of averages, especially when everyone gets suspended or charged these days, they're going to be copping punishments and stuff and end up being ineligible or docked points in Dally M. I just don't understand it. Like just, it's the best players score it appropriately. And, you know, let's just forget about the suspensions and stuff. And also with the team of the year too, it just seems to create so much controversy when you don't have guys like Reese Walsh on there, just because he got suspended. There's obviously a lot of other things. I've opened up care to worms with the Dally M's being dudded, but Luke, I reckon that you're going to be on the back of this looking at a bit of a revamp. Yeah, it's interesting because um, there's a lot of, uh, like, as you know, you know, may have missed as I haven't been on for a while, is that, you know, Caelan Ponger and I are very much back on again after a hit and miss relationship <laughs> over the last couple of years. So I've, I've, uh, we're very solid in our, yeah, you know, very much in love at the moment. But uh, having, I think I would debate a little bit for him because the real talk about revamping the Delhi M's overnight has been every single person who's ever, whose mother has ever visited New Zealand has been talking about how you know, Sean Johnson was robbed in the Delhi M count this year right and I, I just think we need to firstly just take a little step back on that um for a moment and the suggestion seems to be that Kalen Ponga was rewarded this year for winning a hot streak of good form whereas Sean Johnson was the best player all year and if I can start by just saying Sean Johnson would have been an incredibly good winner and fully you know would have been I would have been very happy to see him win and he would have deserved to and all that kind of thing. I, I'm, I'm a bit confused at the narrative that's going around that because Kalen Ponga played all of his good games in succession, that that means his year wasn't good. Because uh, we won 10 games in a row and that's 42% of the season. <laughs> that's half the season. Like I'm not sure why SJ playing well every second week is more admirable than Ponga doing it in a row. Uh, and the other thing is that people have really overlooked with this Sean Johnson deserves it more and, and he was robbed and he, again keeping in mind I would have been very happy to see him win great season Kalen Ponga missed six games early in the in the season so he went HIA in the first game 
Then he went HIA in the second minute of the next game. Then he missed six weeks. So he went into round eight on zero points. So a lot of people are saying that the award's skewed and it's biased and the points don't reward the real winner. I'll tell you who else the points don't reward. They don't really reward people that start on zero at round eight. Um, and aren't on the leaderboard at round 12. So I will go on to say there's lots of things they could do to improve this system, but the particular debate that's going around today that Kalen Ponga doesn't, somehow doesn't deserve that reward is bizarre. Uh, if you think someone else should have won player of the year, by all means think that because you can all have an opinion, but he had to come from absolutely nowhere. Starting halfway through the season on not any points and still winning is not rigged. <laughs> you have to play very, very, very well to do that. And, and you know, the fact that, that no one beat him, despite the fact that he wasn't on any points halfway through the season, kind of speaks to how good he was. Um, to go to some of your other points, suspension absolutely shouldn't count. Who cares? Nobody cares whether players get suspended. Right. I don't know why that's in there. And Everyone and, gets suspended and, now anyway. Like We're in an yeah, age where do. everyone it, it gets charged have, every week. It, it, like, it's a professional sport. You used to get suspended for very yeah. serious stuff. In, if you go back to the 70s and 80s... Chris and Ferris should be gone. <laughs> you, you had, in the 70s and 80s, to get suspended, you had to literally, like, king hit people, and that's why it was the best and fairest. Yeah, and that's why it was the best and fairest award. You get suspended now for anything. So that I agree with. Um, in general, what I will say is that a lot of people think, and a lot of talk today has said you've got to get rid of the point system and have it voted on. All I will say is whatever system you use will be flawed and we're going to argue about it because a voting system gave us Billy Slater as the best player in an Origin series that they didn't win. Um, it, it gave us, you know, it has gave us multiple people that didn't win the grand final being the player of the grand final. It has given multiple people that just should have got nowhere near winning player of the grand final, player of the grand final. And we will all, we will get some absolutely ridiculous players of the year. If we swap this to a voting system, if we get 20 of the game's brightest, if there are 20 bright people involved, uh, if you can find that many and they all vote on a player next year, we will hate it just as much or it will create just as much controversy as the voting system does now. I think it's an absolutely, it's an absolutely terrible idea because you, you're trying to vote on a, on a whole season and trying to remember every game yeah, played and every minute of it, which is ridiculous. You have to vote on it after each game. You have to watch the game properly, which is a controversy a few years ago. Shout out to Ruan Sims over there. Um, <laughs> and you've also, you've got to live with the fact that you do have to put the right people in place. And that's been a problem before too. You do have to put the right people in place um, you don't get Malmending into award, you know, Billy Slater, he's, he's metal, like, you know, that happened and whatever. But to me, it, it, the system's okay. I think people have to get their head around the um, the point scoring and stuff because it just looks different now. But like Wilfred, I, I actually like that they're putting two people on a game and I like that it's after each game. And I'll, I'll give Wilfred a hot streak, a hot take to go on to. I'm going to fire up more than Garrity. I think it is absolutely ridiculous and disrespectful for people to say Sean Johnson was robbed. I, I cannot believe how ludicrous it is. Uh, Sean Johnson, very deserving if he won it, but he didn't. And to me, Kalen Ponga's run of about three months of football is up there with the best runs of all time. His form was amazing. And I I think that every time I hear someone say Sean Johnson was robbed, it makes me think, Wilfred, did you not watch Kalen Ponga this year though? Certainly you have to think that he was unbelievable. Yeah, I think for me, I do think putting two people on has helped this year. Like, I don't think anyone could say Ponga and SJ were amongst the best players this year, right? So it's good that they were up to pointing in at the end of a, at the end of the leaderboard uh, when when all the votes were counted. So, well, I, I think yeah, you're right. Disrespectful to Ponga and how good of a season he's had, um, you know, especially considering he was on zero at round eight, as Garrity pointed out. So, I think that does uh, that that 
is unfair. I uh, do, you know, maybe it's a sentimental kind of thing. Well, SJ doesn't really have many opportunities left to, to win the Dallium. And, and, you know, it's kind of that uh, Warriors, you know, up the wires, good, good vibes and all that type of stuff. So I understand why people are upset. SJ didn't take it out, but I don't think, yeah, I don't think it was robbed by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, if someone came out of, let's say, uh, I don't know who's a name that, you know, let's say someone like random, like Harry Grant, all of a sudden just came out and won. Like that would be a robbery because I don't think anyone would say Harry Grant was better than Sean Johnson this year. But uh, Ponga definitely, uh, yeah, you can make a very good argument that he was the best player in the competition in the games he played. Um, I, I, one thing I wanted to put to you though, Barnsley, because I know you're an NBA fan. Like, do you think the MVP voting system works there? Because don't they just take 50 or, or so people in the game? Uh, and they vote at the end of the season. Like, do you feel that actually generally works? It, it generally does. Um, I don't think it's heaps better. And it's, it, but it is an interesting point because what the NBA does for those that don't know is that they actually put it out to hundreds of um, accredited media people and other people as well that are in the game. And, you know, you can have it removed from you as well. Like people have had voting removed. Like there was a, a real big one last year where uh, Mark Jackson, who used to be a player, used to be a coach and just got fired, um, put somebody on a ballot for the, the all-NBA team that um, that really shouldn't have been there. And, you know, big controversy. And he got removed from voting. So they take it pretty seriously. Um, but it's hundreds of people. And they tally up a scoring system, basically, where they, they're giving out ones, twos, threes, et cetera. They're doing the order for certain players that are on the ballot. And then they tally it all up and they have all the players score and whoever ends up with the top score obviously gets the MVP. It's not bad. It's okay. Um, and generally it gets reasonably close. Um, but one of the things with it, you know, is the NBA as a you know different type of sport or different type of league, they don't look at just, they really don't look at the game by game impact that rugby league does. Um, and I, I like that. I think that's a differentiation with our sport. Like you have a lot of resting in America and games that don't matter or games that people don't care about and the big game performances people, you know, rate better. Um, with rugby league, I like it better that we're just after each game, you know, and I've seen people talk about how rate everybody out of 10. I think that's just overkill. I don't think you need to per se. One of the things that I will throw to you is that I think that one of the things that we miss and all of us probably do a little bit, I know that I do, is that I, even though I can whinge about the different things that we should change and things that we're dotted on with the with the Dally M's, most of the time like we really do get get it pretty right as far as who ends up holding up the medal at the end of the night. Like you might be able to debate, oh, I think this person or that person, but I don't think it's ever a shock or somebody that really shouldn't be anywhere close to the discussion. I mean, White in a couple of years ago, maybe, but he did have a big season. That was the one I was going to say. That one seemed to be Nathan Cleary's. That that was an odd one. Yeah, the, the White one's the only, the only one, one that sticks, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, per se, how do you feel about it? Oh, uh, whatever system you come in is always going to be controversy, isn't it? Like everyone's not going to agree with it. Look, as you said, if you can, you rate every single player every week. And I mean, at the end of the day, you're still going to end up with the top players at the top. Doesn't matter what the point system is. I mean, I've seen a lot of things floating around with the changes of the how they scored it this year. If it was only the old scoring, Ponga wouldn't have, wouldn't have got there. Well, hang on, the Knights won ten games in a row, and he was the best on field every week. So there's thirty points in ten rounds. You get 30 points in the old scoring system, you're not losing too many daily M's. So, I don't know. I think they, they get that right. Um, it's more for me the positional ones, how they usually always go off, off the daily M points. Or sometimes I don't agree with that. But I mean, at the end of the day, the daily M, the way it's, it's, it's always flawed. 
what's the correct answer? I don't know. I don't think that's ever how. It's like when was it? When can you remember a howler? I mean, White was probably the closest. Wasn't really a howler. Went on a bit of a run, but uh, he still had a good uh, season, and and that was a, the right, year that yeah. Canberra went to the grand final. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was probably his best season. And you know, they, were, they went on a good run, and he was involved in a lot of it, and he would have got points. So I mean. Mm. The, the one that scares me about media experts when we when you guys were talking about the NBA is whenever anyone tosses yep. that up, whether it's for this or any other thing we get involved we in. We don't have any media well, experts. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, I start panicking about it. Yeah, all I start doing is panicking that Phil... Imagine Phil, yeah, Phil Rothfield. And, and, and Hooper. That's all I think is, oh, my God, like Hooper and Rothfield are going to end up getting a vote. And then it just makes me want to kill the whole idea immediately. Like the day that James Hooper gets a say in anything, winning or anyone winning anything or doing anything, is just a day the whole sport should be disbanded. So it's like, who the hell would they put in there? It's, who would be picking this? Um, the only people that know stuff, the, the only way you could do it properly, and you can't really because they're all biased, it, the only people who know rugby league properly would be, the guy, it would be the coaches that you would trust to have some idea, but you'd have to have them not vote on their own team. I'm not saying that's a good idea, but... Yeah, yeah, there's too many biases yeah. there too as well because yeah. you, you get guys that have like yeah, worked totally. in the origin yeah. camps or guys yeah. that have worked on the national scale. Like it's, yeah. it's a very hard – I think that they can just do some tweaks, you know, the best and fair. But we could go on and on. Yeah, no, One no thing way. that I, I always think well, about yeah. for Dally M's is um, it's the RTS year, right, 2018. So, like, the Warriors came eighth that season and RTS won the Dally M. And the next, uh, next on the list was Ponga. He had uh, two votes less. The Knights came 11th that season. And then the next name after that was Luke Brooks, who had one vote less. The what Tigers what a, what were ninth. Half <laughs> back of the year season. Brooksy. Well, let's pretend that let's pretend Luke Brooks wasn't on there. I, I don't I don't mind guys like getting in there from later on in the eight or anything. Like if they've had that good a season, like I don't I don't really mind that. I actually prefer it because I, I, I really hate it. Like somebody brought up on Twitter. Um, actually, Kevin Walter's wife brought up, why don't you give the coach of the year award to, you know, wait until the grand final's over? And I just thought that was ridiculous because it's getting to the point that, no, hang on, you don't just wait and just give it to the team that finishes first or, you know, a player that's in the team that's, that finishes first. You're giving it to the best player. You're giving it to the best coach based on, you know, a lot of other factors and things. It's not just who comes first or whatever. So I don't actually mind them finishing eighth and somebody doing it like RTS if they actually had that good a season. But we, we've got to move on. But we've segued really well into the spray of the week and then the close of the podcast. My spray of the week is is the grand final week media. I saw Jamie Soward actually put on Twitter the other day how he's just going to like black out grand final week instead of celebrate it and just come to Sunday because he's sick of all the media stories. And I've got to say, I felt the same. All this stuff that I was reading, boys... I can't believe that in Australia we have a grand final week for arguably the biggest league in our country or alongside the AFL. And instead of celebrating it, instead of talking about old grand finals, instead of celebrating the teams, instead of celebrating the history and the players involved and everything else, we talk about things like, oh, Penrith Panthers have these illegal tactics of blocking kickers. Every single team does it, but they focus on that to try and you know, nitpick at Penrith Panthers. And then there's a negative story about the Broncos and then there's another one. And it's like, what, why are you even coming up with these stories for? I, I don't understand. It's grand final week. So, so that's my spray. I'm just going to keep it nice and short. The media needs to have a hard look at itself. If they're going to be bleep that one out all year, that's fine. But at least when you get to grand final week, boys, like let's focus on the grand final and be positive about it and stop trying to tear it down. Yeah, it's interesting. It's I found that I found the whole final series like that. I haven't got to follow a team that made the finals for a long time. And once Newcastle got in, I just kept reading all this crap all week where you were like, 
Tyson Gamble said this, but some other guy said that, and it's the, the whole generation, narrative guess, of the finals it? was it, it, it is it, all this rubbish. Like the, the Knights, nobody cares about Newcastle whatsoever outside of Newcastle ever, and then all of a sudden the papers just full of like we were in the paper, but it was just no one was talking about what was going to happen in the game or how Safidi was going to go against Fanua Blake or something. It was just garbage about what some guy said two years ago and who was feuding with, with who. And, you, you know, like I found all of it really trashy and low. But this week, Luai keeps coming up with Reese Walsh. They just keep trying to rehash, you know, Walsh and Luai to the point where they're like, no, we, both of them have been like, oh, we don't hate each other. We've got no problem. We're just competitive and it's a competitive game. So it's been a bit of argy-bargy. And then there's just been six more articles about it not saying anything it, it is weird it's there's very little it's always been like that there's never been i've never found many people in the media that can write a good analysis of games or what might happen or the actual things that are going to happen it's just hype train yeah, and that, would, that would take actual you know analysis and hard work though luke i mean yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> you have all week they, they don't have to write something every day <laughs> well i just found that i really found the penrith one in really poor taste and it wasn't just on nrl 360 it was also reverberated in you know all the publications and online and everything and it was just like how are you picking this out from penrith they're the number one sign the year they're going to the grand final this week and your story that you, you you're posting 17 times is that they're, they're using blockers to protect nathan Kiri when he Cleary when he kicks, like everybody else does as well. But you're actually counting them, and it just seems really petty and silly. But look, legend rewind. We're going to do each of our um, best grand final legend moments. So grand finals that we've all watched and loved. What's some of the best players' performances that you remember for you? Um, Perso, I'll go to you first, mate. Uh, it's probably not going to be what you expect, actually, from Morn. But uh, I'm going with... I was expecting the 89 Tigers, jeez. <laughs> I'm gonna get on well, Benji Marshall two thousand five, but nah. I'm uh, I'm going for Fuda in two thousand sixteen. Uh with the Sharks. Oh, he was absolutely yes. immense. Sixty one minutes, two hundred and one run meters, scored a crucial try, twenty three runs, sixty five post contact, line break, line break assist, nine tackle pass, offload, thirty five tackles, no misses. He was probably at the peak of his powers then and he was the best prop in the comp at that time and and yeah, he just took that game on against the. They weren't fancy to boot the storm, and he was phenomenal in that game. And yeah, it was an off run run we saw, but oh, just watching that game, he was sensational. Just it was that was the peak of his career. That try he scored was really the, the one that got him home for me. Oh, yeah, he had no was, right to score, and he just yeah. carried him. To, yeah, he was outstanding in that game. There's a wonderful example of flaws in having people vote on who should be, be the best player in a grand final. Because hundred percent, yes, that was a that was a robbery. <laughs> he should have got the Clive Churchill, but he was a bit of an unsavoury character at certain types. So I, I I I don't want to say anything, but I think that was, that played into it myself. But um, yeah, he had that controversy that year as well, and Luke Lewis yeah, is yeah. Um, yeah. very well liked he, and everything else. He was clearly take nothing away from Luke Lewis; he's a gun player, but. Fafita was clearly the best player on field in that game, and that was just an outstanding game from a front row in a grand final. It's a performance I've never seen. Wilfred, what about you? Grand final performances by individuals, what one sticks out for you? Yeah, I think, again, probably not what you were expecting, but I do have to throw to Sammy Burgess in 2014. Just I know George Burgess probably had the better game, but... I guess it's just the whole cheekbone, broken cheekbone thing, like first tackle, first hit up, and then he goes on to play 80 minutes. 
and he has 22 runs, makes over 200 meters. He's got you know, a couple of tackle breaks in there as well, three offloads. And yeah, 39 tackles, only missed one, all with a busted cheekbone. Like that, that's the stuff of oh, legends. You know, such a player. Such a player, right? And I, I genuinely don't think the, the Rabbitohs, like they were so dominant, but yeah, it's just off the back of uh, big Sammy Burgess and obviously George. He was, yeah, I, you know, I don't think it was controver- as controversial, but I do think like there was a genuine ar- argument that George probably had the better game. <laughs> but yeah, I think once um, but Sammy busted his cheekbone and still you know put up those numbers, there was never any doubt he was going to get the glove. Luke, I reckon that you've got a perler for us. I do. Firstly, before I do, I just have to shout out that someone has to mention that Brett Kenny scored three doubles in grand finals. So I'm, I'm not going to pick him because <laughs> I have to pick a night, but someone has to mention that because it's not mentioned enough. A bit before our time, yeah, but, but that's that's oh. like unbelievable, isn't it? Really? Yeah, you think if, someone did, if someone did it now and the, the media hot saturation of the game now, you'd never hear the end of it, nor, nor should you, but it's um, it was incredible. Uh, I have picked Ben Kennedy, another person who was robbed of a, of a Churchill. Um, he he in the 2001 grand final, so we we're up 24 nil at half time. And his statistics for that match, keeping in mind he he was an edge forward, he he made 15 runs for the game, 167 meters on an edge, uh, 60 post contact meters, and these are his attacking stats in that game. All of which of these came in the first half. He had a try, a line break, a line break assist, a try assist, and six tackle busts. And and of that 167 meters in the game, he made 100 of them in the first half of a grand final. It, it, was up there with one of the most incredible games I've seen by he is very underrated by history Ben Kennedy and and that grand final was just something else just the way he took it in the first half of for an I haven't seen an edge forward do that it was it was reminiscent of you know last year I thought Liotta was outstanding in the in the forwards there's been Burgess and Fafita but for someone on an edge to just grab the game like that and just dominate was it, it was probably the most underrated great grand final performance I've ever seen. The Eagles were favourites too, weren't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They were the best statistical team ever. And they came yeah. out and... And, um... and the Knights just... Yeah. Uh... Yeah. And, and Joey Joey won it for similar reasons to Thurston did. He did a bit more than more than Thurston did in his grand final, but he was actually not that involved in some of the early tries. He threw the third last pass and stuff, but Kennedy and a couple of the other forwards just completely steamrolled them and, and won the game before anyone could blink. And, you know, you know he was just... If anyone, I encourage anyone to have a look at it. Go back and watch some of that first half. It is just something very oh, special. Phenomenal, yeah. though. <laughs> yeah, it was. It? Well, I remember Simpson being really strong in that first half, too. He was. He was. Good. He held up Andrew Ryan over the line with his foot, too. Like, Andrew Ryan was over to score for Parra, and Simpson stuck his leg under it and then rolled him over. And, yeah, yeah. And he lives in Newcastle now, Andrew Ryan. And anyone I can get, whenever they see Andrew Ryan out and about, I'm like, just start yelling at him about Simo in the grand final, ask him why he didn't get the ball down. <laughs> <laughs> so he's probably going to leave. Stick your, stick your foot out a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, when he yeah, walks down the right. street. It is. But, but yeah, Benson is a nice well, one to remember because he was um actually very underrated at the time and he's become more and oh, more extremely. underrated as time's gone on. He played for Australia, played for New South Wales, and he was a great player. But talking about, you know, forwards, you know, I could mention Brad Clyde for Canberra in nineteen ninety one, um, as far as outstanding forward performances, but I won't. I've picked a couple of little moments that are uh, a little bit footy nerd moments, so you know, some people wouldn't appreciate them perhaps, but um not filler. Oh, a little bit, yeah. That's that's a moment that I'm going to choose. I'm actually going to throw out Adrian Morley from that grand final against the Warriors, though. Yeah, um, fair So, and that was just, it wasn't necessarily the entire game, uh, which is, you know, a lot of grand final performances, people look at, you know, the whole the whole game and the, the tries scored and the glitzy stuff and everything. 
But I, that was a point in the game where if anyone is too young or didn't watch it or doesn't remember, Brad Fittler was taken out by Richard Villasanti, um, who led with his head and hit Fittler late straight into the face with the top of his head. Good shot. Absolutely yeah, nailed head, like a, head like a jack-o'-lantern. It was a good shot. Bonker, I thought it was for a, people that don't know. I thought it was yeah, he thought it was a good yeah. shot. <laughs> it was totally illegal, and he completely got away with it at the time. And Fittler, you know, today, would like his, his game would be over. He'd be, you know, category one for sure. But Fittler was absolutely belted, and it was, it was dirty. But, you know, that was the game then. Fine, I'm not going to whinge about it. But I just love that you don't have these forwards anymore where Adrian Morley at that point, you could see the fire in his eyes and he knew it was a grand final. So he couldn't just go and grab Richard Villasani and start punching on and knock him out. And he would have killed him. He was that angry, but you saw him, the firing up that he had, the screaming. And the next time Richard Villasani ran that ball, Adrian Morley absolutely buried him. And every single hit up after that, Adrian Morley just had no regard for his body at all. And just ran into the pack and killed him. And he was screaming the whole time, whether he had the ball, whether he was defending or he was just in the line or that was just a little break waiting for a, a scrum, he was screaming. And that next 10 minutes especially oh. won that grand final. And it was all on the back of Adrian Morley and that type of aggressive, fiery forward performance that he had. I was about 12 when he was coming through Morley. Like, I was about 12 years old, and he used to keep me up. He used to give me actual He was nightmares. scary. <laughs> like, you're watching him, so I was thinking that Adrian Morley was going to come in. Yeah, it was Gordon Tallis in primary school, and then I was just starting high school, and you watch Morley play, and you'd wake up at night in a cold sweat thinking he was coming after you. He was a serial killer. He was so cool. Oh. I loved him. Absolutely loved him. And he also, I think that was the year as well where he got sent off 10 seconds into the Australia versus Great Britain match as well. So, I mean, <laughs> yes, he's, he's, got some, he's got some fantastic highlights. Robbie, put, Robbie, put Robbie Kearns into another <laughs> universe. <laughs> there was another little nerd one, footy nerd one, that I was going to mention. Uh, the only trialist grand final in history was 1986 with Parramatta. And I've gone back and watched all the Parramatta grand finals because I absolutely love it. And Peter Sterling... There's plenty of opportunities too. There was. Peter Sterling uh, has the prestigious award of the man in the match for the only trialist grand final, which was Parramatta in 1986 winning. And it was um, one of those games where, again, very footy nerd, but the kicking game, if if you're a young fella and you want to learn how to kick or you want to look at a kicking game, watch Peter Sterling in the 1986 grand final. It is absolutely ludicrous how well he kicks the ball in that and how he controls the play in, in a grand final that had no tries in it. Like, And he he was phenomenal in that game. And to think that a halfback could win a game like that that was so dour and tryless, uh, you know, win the man of the match is pretty outstanding. <laughs> it's a pretty crazy performance. So uh, a, few, a couple of different ones for me. You boys might not have watched the 1986 grand final. I have, <laughs> and oh, it's a good one. Yeah, it's a ripper. It's, it's not boring at all. It's, it's how really is how is Sterling not like an instant immortal in those? Like he had three grand final wins by the time he's twenty three. It, it, the fourth one when he's twenty six. That, that's actually. I know uh, that was that's I've like, thought but, a few times that they've actually su- him and Kenny suffered a lot from uh, what I call it's it's sort of the Benji Marshall effect where if you do all of the good stuff in the first yeah. half of your career, it actually by the time you retire, you don't get that momentum. Him and Kenny did all of their stuff. Yeah, 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 hundred yeah, percent. And both those guys, like at the end of their careers, like still I was hampered by that shoulder injury, and, and Kenny was pretty similar. Yeah, to the, it. the guys that if you do it all at the start. I think they actually took away from each other a bit too. I think because they were both so dominant and so good that they both kind of, um, you know, it took away from yeah. each other a little bit too because, you know, 
you get the guys like Joey and whatever that they really they don't just dominate the league, but they dominate their team. And you know those guys really shared the limelight because they were both so great. But in the when you got Sean well. Sean Rudder on your side, I bet it's pretty good. To... <laughs> yeah, well, Wolf, I thought you were going to bring up Alan Langer from '91 or '92. Was it? What one was it? '92, I think it was. Alan Langer. I thought you were going to bring up that one, mate. Look, uh, I'll be honest. Like it, it is a long time ago, and I was pretty young during that, so I probably didn't understand. Uh, you know, how influential Langer was in that game. I thought you were going to bring up Anthony Milford's uh, when he should have won the Churchill in the losing grand final. I was waiting for that one. <laughs> Look, I, I was going to throw in there, when you brought up Thurston winning Clive, I was like, you know, if, if there's any, if there was ever a, a Clive that was de- deserved for a losing grand final, I'm like, Milford's right up there. <laughs> Absolutely. It's fantastic. Well, that's a good way to finish up the podcast. Uh, thank you very much, Wilfred, Luke, and Perso, all for jumping on for the first four-way that we've had. It's um, a fantastic podcast, and I uh, appreciate you all jumping on board in such a great week, grand final week. No worries, mate. Cheers for having me. Absolutely. Up the mighty Broncos. <laughs> Always a pleasure, Bertie. Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. Wolf, yeah. Good luck, Wolf. I'll wait for the messages on Monday once um yeah. if the Broncos get across the line. Look, I was gonna say welcome to... aboard welcome aboard, Perso. I think you said earlier that you were written for the Broncos, so yeah, welcome aboard. <laughs> I am. I'm on. I'm Love I'm it. on. Hopefully it's a classic grand final and the Broncos can do the upside. That'd be just great for rugby league. I think it'd be great for rugby league if both of them lost somehow. Like maybe they could, you know, great, yeah. <laughs> still retros- true. Retrospective salary cap issue or something, or, you know. <laughs> just have to replay it. Uh, I don't that know. Oh, I'm sure Tony Adams will come up with a, some kind of narrative. Well, if you're looking for the podcast, you can find us everywhere: iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Amazon. Do subscribe; you get the episodes straight away. Uh, probably going to wrap it up for the year now that we've got the grand final done and dusted. So thank you to all the listeners throughout the year for the Supercoach episodes and also the Talking Footy episodes. It has been fantastic. We will be continuing on, maybe just a small hiatus and a little bit of a break, but certainly jump on Picklebed anytime. Our great partner of the NRL All-Stars podcast, use the affiliate code All-Stars, all one word when you sign up. They'll take great care of you as a listener, but geez, look at those grand final specials, AFL and NRL this week. Go get into them. Otherwise, Enjoy the grand final week. Enjoy all the lead up. Enjoy the NRLW as well as the NRL. Good luck to your teams if you're in there. Can't wait to chat about footy again real soon. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on. Go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on. 